episode 124. That's overall, but the first, the very first episode of 2021. Ah, yes. Good call. I think we should just do two hours on Westfall like we were talking about before the show. <laughs> I, mean, I watched that game five. We're not going to do two hours on Westfall okay. because I have a Mitch Unfiltered New Year's resolution. Well, don't you typically have those or no? A Mitch Unfiltered New Year's resolution or, or my own New Year's oh, resolution? Oh, I see. You're, you're, doing, you're speaking we for have, the show. We have a podcast New Year's oh. resolution. No show in 2021 will be more than nine minutes. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> I'm, I'm all for it. I'm hungry. I'm ready to go get some dinner. Nine minutes and out. You can't ask uh, one question in nine <laughs> minutes. I mean, jeez. It's funny that you should bring that up. Okay. Oh, gosh. I'm going to read you an email in a few moments. Oh, boy. It's funny that you should take a shot at my long-winded <laughs> questions because there's an email that's going to be read in just a few moments from now, less than nine minutes from now, because, of course, we got to get out of here. That's right, yes. Nine minutes. Mm -hmm. Nine minutes. Nothing going on anyway. We're out of here. No. Yeah. Can we just begin with something that every single sports fan who's ever watched an NFL game knows, but... It needs to be re-emphasized. Okay. It sucks to have to root for others to do your work for you. I tweeted that what? <laughs> Tis the season to root for crappy teams. I'm laughing. Yeah. Because I don't want to cry. Yeah, I hear you. No, it's it sucks. I mean, you, I was thinking Mr. P, he burns so many calories, and then the good teams just win. The Seahawks win, Packers win, Saints win. Nothing cool ever happens. F Mr. P. <laughs> Let's talk about Mitch Levy for now. Okay. Not Mr. P. <laughs> there were seven games yeah. that I cared about on Sunday. Yep. Seven games where literally, <laughs> if I could have gotten one result to go my way, <laughs> right. the Dolphins would be in the playoffs or the Seahawks would be the number two or number one seed. Yeah. The following seven games were the games that I cared about. You tell me how I did. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and, and by the way, before we even start this, yeah. okay, if you assume, which is not the case, that each game is a coin flip, do you, how good how good were you with, with percentages and stats and oh, great. statistics at, yeah. at, Be at, at Bellevue Community College? Sure. Uh-huh. All those. What'd you say? <laughs> yeah, go on. If I asked you... What are the chances that if we flipped a coin seven times, that all seven times we would have heads? Do you know how to figure that out? It's a pretty simple, simple math equation. To figure out what the chances are of the that chances, happening? If oh, I boy. said, okay, we're going to flip this seven times, what are the chances that we're going to get heads, not heads, not the same seven times, just heads? Yeah. What's the chances we're going to get heads Seven times. No clue. In a 50. That out. Okay, so you would just, it was very simple. You'd go 0. 0.5, which is the chance of getting heads, yep. times 0. 0.5, times 0. 0.5, times 0. 0.5, times get a times smaller point. and smaller you, number. You would do gotcha. it seven times. Okay. And that would give you the chance. Now, I know that these games are not 50-50. Most of them are actually like 20-80. Yeah. But still, the, 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 the situation is the same. The theory is the same. Yeah. That you, the chances of not getting one... <laughs> I know. Means <laughs> if I sat you right down and I said, okay, start oh, flipping a coin. Oh, and you can't leave here and go back to see Piper until yeah. you flip seven heads in a row. You've got to flip seven heads in a row before you leave. You'll be here tomorrow morning. Oh, at least. Okay. Yeah. I needed one pin, Rodney. Yeah. All right. 
I cared about Miami over Buffalo. How'd that turn out for me? The highest point total of the year for a team. I cared about Pittsburgh over Cleveland. How'd that work? Yeah. I cared about Cincinnati over Baltimore. How'd that work? Yeah. I cared about Jacksonville over Indianapolis. How did that work? I cared about Chicago over Green Bay to move Seattle up. How did that work? I cared about Carolina over New Orleans (laughs) to move Seattle up. How did that work? I know. It sucks. I know. It's awful. Every (laughs) single game except for Seattle. And the one game out of seven that actually went my way was the Seattle-San Francisco game, which because none of the other six went my way, it it didn't mean anything. Who the hell cares about it? It was like spending three hours to watch something that didn't even matter. Well, yeah, there was a lot of talk on Twitter about pulling out the the starters once the Packers and the Saints were kind of running away with it. You know, like, what are we even doing? Just get them all out of there. Hot shot. I needed one freaking piece of help from six games come on well, the chances what are the chances that every single game is going to go against me i know asking for help sucks it's and like I, in boxing they say don't leave it up to the judges to no. knock their ass out because this is what happens when you need help from other people it never happens no one ever helps now yeah. i will tell you that there was one result I, I, I hid this from you until the very end. Okay. There was one dramatic result that went my way in a completely different vein. Does that have to do with the draft? Yes. I saw that. Yeah. Do you realize how much did what did what did you see? Explain to me what you saw. I saw that the Dolphins have the number three overall pick. Right. Do you know why? I don't. One game. Okay. It came down to one game that was came down to a kick. By a guy who needs to have a couple more salads instead of cheeseburger. Oh, boy. Some guy on the Tennessee Titans, they were playing for the title against Houston. Saw that, So Miami's got Houston's pick. Oh, was that the kick that caromed in? Yeah, (laughs) from like 35 yards. Somebody almost didn't want to give you that one either. (laughs) But by the way, just so you know, had he missed that kick and the Titans not won that game, Miami's draft choice goes from three to nine. Oh, boy. They dropped six spots. (laughs) And the guy clunk clinks one off the upright from like 12 yards yeah. the kick was on the way and the football guy said wait a minute that helps levy oh, oh crap God. and he tried to push it but it was too late so somebody asked me who was it that asked me somebody sent me a te- oh my son max you know, remember him i've heard of him uh yeah. he sent me a text from he's back at college back at uw and he sent me a text would you have rather the playoffs or the third pick oh would you trade the third pick down to nine for a playoff berth and the truth is the Dolphins, if they had gotten into the playoffs, were probably going to play Buffalo next week. Right. We saw what happened, yeah. With all those fans, 6,742 sure. fans. Yeah. I, you know, the Dolphins are just, not that anybody cares about the Dolphins, but they're they're clearly a year or two away yeah. and players away. They weren't going to do anything in the playoffs anyway, so I like the pick. I like the third overall pick. Now, have you started being the nerd and going through mock drafts to no, see who might yet. be available at three? My, my brother's already asking, what are, we, what are we doing at three? <laughs> right. I'm like, come on. I, I, haven't, I haven't had dinner yet since the, right. the game is over. Can I get through what the are season? We, what are we doing? Are we trading down? Jay wants to know. Are we, and I you know, scream, are we trading down or are we taking a left tackle? Right. You know God. Can I get through one uh, season first? Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Anyway. yeah. It sucks, man, having to root for bad teams. It it's sucks. the worst. Yeah. It sucks. And it never goes your way. No. But it has to at some point. It goes somebody's way. Yeah. It doesn't, uh, but uh, have you ever, do, do you ever remember the Seahawks? Like we went into this game. We went into this day on Sunday hearing about all the Saints running backs are out. No Alvin Kamara. Yeah. The Green Bay Packers left tackle, all pro left tackle, blew out his knee in practice. He's out. I mean, all of these different things that started to give us hope that yeah. maybe New Orleans and or Green Bay were going to lose on Sunday. The right? Bears are red hot. 
Bears are red hot playing as well as anyone. <laughs> I know. Are they? I, I, I honestly, I'm, I'm sure somebody listening to this is probably yelling at their at their podcast. I was going to say radio. That I can't remember the Seahawks ever really getting any help, dramatic help. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I, I can't remember. Everything it is either. too fresh from. Yeah. yeah, I don't. Subscribe and drop us a rating and review if you don't mind. We now have 2,100, 2,100 reviews on Apple Podcasts, and we have a 4.9 out of 5-star rating. Or if you would prefer to write me personally to tell us how we do it, we're doing, yeah. Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. I'd love to hear what you think. Kind of like Phil in Stockton, California. Uh-oh. All right. I love getting nice New Year's wishes. Oh, no. The yeah. best to you and your family. Yeah. Love the show, Mitch. You know those? Oh, I've seen a few of them, yeah. Yeah, here's Phil. Oh, boy. Mitch, a friend notified me that you're in the podcast business now. And after checking out Mitch Unfiltered, I can officially report same old irritating Mitch who's not nearly as funny as he thinks and asks five-minute questions to guests no one is interested in. That was a review or an email? No, that was an email. But he... Track down your email address. He had to send this. Okay. <laughs> Happy New Year, Mitch. He was compelled to send that to oh, you. It goes on. Oh, I do wish you and your family well in the new year, but never too late to come up with a new craft. I never understood the attraction. Phil in Stockton, California. A new craft? Yeah. What, do you become a magician now or something for a living? <laughs> God. Thanks, Phil. So you're... you're oh. You're, you can't ask a question in nine yeah. minutes. That was foreshadowing. What you just did was foreshadow yeah. this particular email. He says five-minute questions. You say nine-minute right. nine questions. I will say, though, I, when I to hear— guests that know—so not only do I not know how to interview, <laughs> right. we get the wrong guests, too. We have bad well, guests. Steve should take that personally. He helps book them. You well, know? That's he a shot he, at he you gets the Steve. good ones. I get the bad ones. I often listen to your interviews, and, and it, it sort of drives me nuts when, they always, when the people you're interviewing always say— Oh, that, that's a really good question. Because I'm like, God damn it. Again with that? Hot shot. <laughs> well, you don't realize is before the interview starts, I yeah. say, if you could throw in a that's a pretty good <laughs> yeah, question. Sounds like it. But people are like, well, that's a really good question. Happens all the time. Anybody who wants like to promote a book, wants us to promote or promote something of theirs, yeah. I say, I'll do an extra promotion if at some point during the interview, <laughs> yeah. you throw in a, you know, that's a great question. Oh, man. I just can't believe he was compelled I, to write that. You know, it's funny is I, I, this is actually true. You're going to think I'm joking. But when I started to do the podcast years ago with Jayham, I, I took a look at myself in the mirror and I was like, okay, now that I'm going to do this, what do I want to do better? I mean, I, I you know, I'm, I, yeah, I've done it for 25 years yeah. and we leopards don't change our spots very easily, especially after 25 years. But I was like, okay, what can I do better? What, what can I sharpen up on from the old radio days? And one of the things that I've actually consciously tried to do better is ask shorter questions. And, and, and the neat thing about doing a podcast and being able to edit it afterward is if I have asked an eight-minute question, I could take seven minutes of it out <laughs> right? in post-editing. Post but I, if you go back, I, I challenge Phil and Stockton to go back to my interviews and clock my questions. You will not hear nearly as many long, rambling questions as I used to hear on the radio show. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I'm not, not yeah, just Yeah, I know. You don't, you don't know. You don't, you, no, I, you're I would being agree. nice now because you know my feelings are hurt from Phil. Have I not Phil? told you it annoys me when people say you're a good interviewer? I think I'm pretty honest with you, but I haven't noticed a, I haven't noticed long rambling ones. No, because I, I take because I take it out. Right. <laughs> the outtakes are going to be really boring <laughs> on this podcast. But we did get an email from Maddie. All right, 
who sent a very nice complimentary email, which I'm not going to read. I thought you'd be more interested in the one that was hateful and hurtful <laughs> yes. from Stockton, California. Maddie wrote me a lovely letter, but I do want to read just the last little portion of it where Maddie writes, after she compliments me and the show, yeah, and she, writes, she writes, wow. anyway, really enjoy the show. Oh, and tell Scott... He really knows very little about women if he doesn't get the Billy Crystal Meg Ryan match and win Harry and Sally, which you said on 10 whatever 1023 p. I'll stand by. That. Most smart women will take a good laugh over good looks any day. Bull crap! I was funny my whole <laughs> life. Never worked for me. I'll fight her to the death that's on that nonsense. Said, that's uh, what Maddie said. Being funny never helped me ever. Maybe I'm not funny. I, I have. I, I had a hard time with you telling me that you couldn't get into when Harry met Sally because. You, you, you didn't buy the Billy Crystal Meg no, Ryan. I didn't. He's no leading man. I couldn't do it. No? No. I felt the same way about Gene Wilder. Remember, he was a leading man, too. Oh, fantastic. Oh, he's awesome, but he's not handsome. I mean, you know, he's not a good-looking guy, Gene Wilder. I said, Billy Crystal? No. That always bothered me. Funny doesn't get anyone anywhere. With, at least it didn't with me during my single okay. days. Don't people outkick their coverage all the time? Don't yes. guys outkick their coverage? Why can't Billy Crystal's character, Harry, All and right. when Harry met Sally, outkick, why can't he kick outkick? And you got Meg Ryan. You're treating Meg Ryan like she's like uh, the greatest thing that ever, you know, walked in shoe leather, as my mom my dad would say. <laughs> Timely. <laughs> she was really pretty, Meg Ryan, back then. Like, young, very, very. Yeah, very, like very a, she was like very. supposedly a college-age kid at the time. Yeah, and yeah. so was he. Yeah, oh, no. I like Billy Crystal. This isn't me crapping on him, but no, 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 I never you're bought it. You're being way too stubborn on this. Maddie thinks you're being way too stubborn. Well, she may be right, but funny never got me anywhere. We're accepting new Mitch Unfiltered patrons at $5 a month. All the weekly bonus content can be yours, including some terrific playoff content. I got a feeling that you and I will be doing a patrons-only Saturday night segment. That's right. This coming Saturday night. I got a feeling that you and I are not waiting till Sunday's 125 episode <laughs> to do some first blush opinions of a Saturday afternoon early evening game, game three between the Rams and the Seahawks at Lumen Field. I don't even know what Lumen is. I don't know. I've been waiting forever <laughs> to play you Mandy on the acoustic guitar, so... That might have to happen. I you know. I've, really? I've, I, have you been practicing it? I worked it out like three weeks or four weeks. Last time we did one, and then yeah. I haven't played it since. Oh, will so. you do it? Of course. Well, yeah, I'll have to go work it. Yeah, make sure I can I play may need well. somebody to cheer me up after the Rams beat the Seahawks. Yeah, if the, if the Seahawks lose, I'm not playing Mandy. I'm not going to be excited. It's going to be a real bummer. <sighs> yeah. But we'll have to do a special patron show because we don't want to wait till Sunday night to talk about a game that happened, a, a playoff game that happens on Saturday. Correct. But the Seahawks, yeah. yeah we'll yeah. do we'll do one on y your house to my house. We'll do the whole hookup. Love you know? it. Okay. Uh, MitchUnfiltered.com to become a patron. Hey, guests on 124, you are going to love guest number one. All right. Brian Wheeler makes his return to the big, to the big podcast. Can't and wait. he is hysterical. He tells a few stories. That are just beauties. Really? Yeah. I've always loved Wheels. I, I love him because he loves pro wrestling at his okay. age. He still okay. watches pro wrestling. And you talk about a long-winded guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. My nose is short <laughs> compared to his his storytelling. The best is when you say something, you try to get something out of him and he doesn't want any part of it. Yeah. He just sort of whines and meanders all the way around it for 20 minutes and then never never answers your question. He's the master of doing that. I can't wait to hear Have you ever heard him tell a story that I had never heard him tell about Stevie Wonder coming to a Portland Trailblazers game? No. Yeah. I, and, and, and summoning 
Brian Wheeler after the broadcast to come meet him in a suite because of how much he enjoyed his play-by-play experience by listening to Brian. I mean, if I said to you, I I I shouldn't have just told you that story. I should have just said to you, what is the greatest compliment that any play-by-play announcer could ever get from anybody? You would probably say, hmm, maybe a blind guy telling you that you you did a good job. Right. Yeah, that's right up there. And by the way, how about a legend? Like Stevie Stevie Wonder saying, can you get him down to our suite? I want to talk to him after the game. He's going to tell you that story. Amazing. I love Stevie. I'm a summoned, huge Stevie Wonder fan. Summoned by Stevie Wonder after a Portland Trailblazers game. That's, That's one of like awesome. four stories he tells. Nice. I love it. He's got J.R. Ryder. Remember J.R. Ryder? Yeah, I do. Oh, troublemaker J.R. Ryder. trouble, yeah. Oh, always in trouble. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's got J.R. Ryder stories. Is he UNLV got, or no? Yeah, he went to he okay. was he was Isaiah Ryder in those days. Gotcha, okay. He, he changed from Isaiah to J. Anyway, Brian Wheeler, Brady Henderson, Rick Neuheisel, Seahawks win. 12-4, and four, play on Saturday. All of you people that have written me in the last week, I want the Rams, I want the Rams. Jared Goff's no good, I want the Rams. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> yeah. You got the Rams. Uh, episode 124. Hotshot, a brand new year's worth of Mitch Unfiltered. Do not begin without some recognition of our partners, like Daniel's Broiler. There's no two ways about it. Imagine owning and operating four high-end steak restaurants when inside dining is prohibited. Now add on to that the stress of trying to keep people employed and families' income intact. That's what's facing 40-year-old Daniels Broiler and the Schwartz family as we begin 2021. How can we all help? Well, if you have a birthday or anniversary or special occasion, pick up or have delivered, bring a filet or a lobster tail home and make your home a world-class steakhouse like Daniel's Broiler. The Kirkland office at Guild Mortgage with 30-year fixed rates in the twos, a seven-minute phone call with Jordan Flowers or a member of his team is all it takes, seven minutes, to find out the incredible monthly savings of a refinance available to you. 425-250-3150. Take advantage of these crazy low numbers you're silly not to explore. Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, and experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning, taxes, and investments under one roof. Sign up for an upcoming money workshop by visiting evergreengk.com. More than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. And Happy New Year from Zeke's Pizza, which is celebrating with a brand new location in Kenmore, Washington, Opening this week on Thursday, right across the street from City Hall in Kenmore on 68th Avenue, Northeast. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. This is episode 124, number one of 2021, and it begins right now. Unfiltered. Before you can have the conversation, is Russell Wilson worth it? You got to take in the surroundings, and I think once you do, and you start paying attention to what these guys are making and what the and what their organizations are getting from them. That's right. You know, playoffs every single, se- literally every single season from a guy who, by the way, never misses a game right. or a snap. Crazy. I know. Okay. It starts to look okay. Unfiltered. I decided right then and there in February. That's it. I am never buying tickets on a Craigslist ad ever again until today. (laughs) It didn't even last a year. Right. I've never thought in a million years I'd have to scalp 
Woodland Park Zoo tickets. Now it's getting ridiculous. Mitch is unfiltered. New Year's resolution already down the toilet. Yeah, typically they are about this time of year. About 16 minutes on the tees. <laughs> right. A little more than nine. How was your New Year's Eve? Did you go out and party oh, and no. get crazy? No, and- no, I hid. Oh, no, 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 no. All right. We, uh, we were here. We were here for New Year's Eve. All four of you? Well, there were five of us here for New Year's Eve. Okay. Uh, Max wanted to have his girlfriend, which made me infinitely nervous, which gets me in trouble with my family. Okay. And so the, the compromise was we would go out and buy, we bought a heater, an outside heater. Okay. That's going to blow heat. And we That's have heaters the, too. Yes, yeah, thank blow you. Heat. Yes, gotcha. And then we've got we've got the fireplace outside, and we've got heaters up in the in the oh, ceilings. Nice. So we heated the outside area, and we had dinner and New Year's apart and outside. Well, that's good. That was the compromise. Still together? I'm still feeling a little feverish. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Did you stay up till midnight? Do you have oh, that? Oh, wait. Oh, uh, oh, oh, oh. I made a I made a big meal for everybody. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. We had a little. Uh, I don't know. I didn't have champagne, but sparkling whatever it was yeah and we had the kids and they the the the, the neat thing about having the kids is is max always has a game or games like new games okay to play like a board game or like they're not board games that sometimes they're card this one game that he had the other night somebody might know you actually play it off the tv they ask questions and you lie and you tell the truth and everybody uses their phones to enter their have you heard of these the code names game? or something what? it's code like names off maybe? of something called a switch yes you have to put in a code word you have to buy these games to oh own i them. see it's on the switch the switch, but the switch then go. He puts the switch onto a TV right. monitor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what and Piper every, got for this Christmas. Was that Nintendo Switch? Okay, so yeah. and then you use your phones. Oh, cool. The buy a pack. It's called Jackbox or something. Huh. Jackpot, something like that. that sounds fun. And it was really fun. They ask questions, and you you type in a, an answer, and you try to fool everybody into accepting your answer, gotcha. and then yeah, they yeah. show you know it's, it keep score. Oh, it was a hell of a time. <laughs> this is the first New Year's Eve where I almost couldn't stay up. I really? love New Year. I was just yeah. That's a sign. Piper, I know. Piper and one of her teammates yeah were, uh, were staying. You know, was having a sleepover. They they had the whole downstairs, so we were relegated to our our bedroom. Right. And I'm laying in bed. It's like, uh, is it really ten well, ten? What did you guys do? For, did you do the pool and the no, hotel stuff? No, we stayed stuff? home. She just did had you a bring me over. the coronavirus today or not? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know. What'd you do? She had a friend over for a sleepover. Oh, she but did. But it's a teammate. She sees her tw- three times a week. You know, whatever. What are you gonna do? So yeah. I know. Well, they they slept downstairs. We slept upstairs. Super spreaders, those kids. Yeah. Super spreaders. She still goes to training. Basketball's still going. and The virus doesn't hurt them, but then they spread it, and you yeah. spread it, and everybody spreads it, and people die. I think I How was, do you uh, feel about that? I think I was tempered in 100-proof vodka, so I think I might be okay. <laughs> you drank a little bit? Yeah, a little bit, Now, yeah. does your wife, is your wife a drinker? We're not drinkers. She'll have a glass. I think glass. my wife had a glass of Prosecco. Do you call Prosecco. that Prosecco? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's sparkling wine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah my, my, I can't remember the last time I've seen her have too much. Yeah. She just gets migraines, and she just... How about when the Dolphins and the 72 Dolphins, the last team loses yeah, in the NFL? That's when she, she really she goes off it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, no. yeah. Goes crazy. <laughs> it couldn't go to work for three days after that. Yeah. She was a mess. So you did drink. Yes, and we lit off some... I had some fireworks left over from 4th oh, of July. Oh, you did? Oh, so I'm nice. sure the neighbors hated it, but yeah, whatever. what are you going to do? The whistling yeah. stuff. And I'm not a fireworks guy. A, a homemade fireworks guy. Her friend said, I've never lit off anything before. And I was like, well, here you go. Here's the lighter. I let her do it. She loved I it. I want you to meet my friend Jason Pierre-Paul. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, those ones are dangerous. You got to be careful. With hey, those we're sending ones. your daughter back. We had a great time. She came with ten figures. She's coming back with five. I know. I just handed her the lighter. Go for it, kid. I don't know. Well, we didn't have anything that crazy. Just you know, the 
lights yeah. and noise. So anyway, and then you, so fun. you had a good New Year's Eve or no? You you ra- you'd rather be at a big yeah. like big thing like Harry Rand meets Sally. Yeah, I'd rather be yeah, or like at a or hotel like, with with a couple yeah, friends yeah, and all that. This was exactly what I want. Yeah, well, that's good. That's that's why I kind of you know the pandemic has helped me out in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> another I'm not year people to go out. Another year of people saying Happy New Year's, which drives me crazy. They still oh. do it, don't they? Hey, yeah. Where, where did that come from? Happy New Year's. Because it's New Year's Day, so they yeah. say Happy New Year's. Or New Year's Eve, but they just New say Year's Happy Eve. New Year's. Did you watch like um, like Seacrest in one of his 12 gigs? Did you watch, do you watch the ball come down? you watch the musical performances? Does Tip- Piper get, a, get, a, get excited to see some, some uh, bubblegum pop singers come on these shows or no? No, no. none of that. Tip- typically, we'll have it on just to kind of keep an eye on the time. Yeah. But no. I mean, no. honestly, when she was little, we'd, we would celebrate the uh, East Coast one. For like the first eight years of her life, so at nine o'clock we're celebrating like it's midnight, and then we all go to bed early. Oh, I so I got it. Now she's did you watch? Did you watch the semifinals, the college football semifinals? I did. We'll talk to New Eisel about. Yeah, nice. We had a little. We had a little upset, right? We yeah. had Ohio State over Clemson. Everybody thought Clemson was going to play Alabama in the national championship game, but let's start with the Seahawks because the Seahawks had a what I call a homely victory. Yeah. Well, early, yeah, earlier you said. The Seahawks had a win, almost like you weren't sure if that well, should they count. Won. No, it counts. Well, I know, but they the way you said count. it was like, oh, yeah, they God. had a win. Like, can't can't eh. the Seahawks ever have you feeling great going into the postseason? Can't the Seahawks ever go out in weeks like 16 and 17 with like a thorough ass whooping of people and, and have you thinking going into the postseason, all right, here we go, let's go. Why do I feel like, and maybe you'll tell me, well, the Super Bowl years they did. Why does it feel like the last five or six years, and maybe beggars can't be choosers, they do make the playoffs every year, so I shouldn't be really yeah. complaining. But it feels like the last three, four, five years, we go into the playoffs and we're like, oh, you just don't feel good about the team. Going into the play. Do you feel good about the Seattle Seahawks right now? I'm feeling better than I did last year after that Cardinals game. Well, that was a second to last year. I know, year. but just remember and how they you played, felt after Then they that. played the Niners, played and, tough, and, and, yeah. and that's when, yeah. yeah, an inch from the goal line. You, I, you're, 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 you seem to be feeling better than I do about the Seahawks. I think I am feeling better than you. Really? Yeah. From the, what? From Sunday? Well, from the way the defense played for most of the game, the way the, the, the against op- against Bobby Beathard's okay. grandson. Oh yes, yeah. And then the, the last three drives for the offense were touchdowns. Three? Well, not including the one where they knelt. They knelt at the very end. But yeah, the, the three drives before that were touchdowns. You know, two to lock it, and then uh, the running back um, Collins. Yeah, I, did they have three? Okay, so what was the final score? The final score was twenty-six to twenty-three. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. I'm feeling better. So they had about, three. That's right. Three yeah. touchdowns. So that last them. quarter, they started playing well. Maybe, yeah. maybe that'll carry into the Rams okay. game. Okay. I'm feeling. You a could little convince. Better. I could be convinced if you okay. want to push me over. You can push me over to that side of the fence, Russell. I crapped on Russell on Twitter, and I, I, I wish I wouldn't. Have you're pushed. the key. No, you're the key. Keep doing it. Oh, is that is that how that you're works? the one who jolts oh. him back into <laughs> respectability? Would you write? Well, I said he hasn't thrown for 300 yards since November 8th against the Bills. But he does have a podcast, though. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, he's a big podcaster now. And so he and I have two things in common. Neither one of us has thrown for 300 yards, and we both have a podcast. <laughs> that's right. Not since November 8th. Yep, that's right. But then he comes out and All makes right. some amazing plays. And you're like, oh, another that same guy on Twitter is like, is he, he's not worth the money. He's not worth the money. Not worth the money. But he does things that make you go, God, I guess he is. That that touchdown throw to Lockett was beautiful. Uh, was who, beautiful. Who makes that play in the league? Mahomes, maybe, probably. It was beautiful. Uh, 
Lamar. Oh, we're talking about the second one, the touch one. He threw a bullet to him. Which one are you I'm talking, talking about? about the, the bullet? bullet? The way he escaped? And then threw a bullet. Oh, well, I thought you were talking about well, the touch one in the in the that only Lockett could catch. That was great too. Yeah. And then he he had that long okay. he had that long run. You're like, oh yeah. I'm kind of happy that you're happy. Well, look, they, they won four in a row. That's, that's they did. That's good momentum. They did. I, I mean, I remember how I felt after the Giants game when they were eight and four and they lost to the stupid Giants. I'm like, ah. this felt a lot like the Giants game until they they revved it up in the fourth quarter. Something about this game really reminded me of. I almost, I almost, almost wondered aloud whether the Niners defensively were doing something similar to what the Giants did hmm. to bottle up. They were getting pressure on him. Nobody was open. He was throwing the ball away. They just didn't have anything. No rhythm. And I just can't figure it out. Like if you asked me, and maybe you wouldn't ask me because you're, uh, maybe you're very bullish now on the offense because of their last three touchdowns. Not but necessarily. If you had asked me on this show, Mitch, what's different? What happened? Because I actually tweeted that out at halftime. Yeah. I, I tweeted out, this team doesn't look anything like offensively it did the first six weeks of the season when he was an MVP candidate. And I can't really put my finger on it. Like, if you asked me, I would say, I don't know. Because the first thing I do is I ask myself, okay, what's different? Is there anything tangibly that we can point to? Well, let's let's talk about personnel. Okay. For And this is really for people not named Scott, because if you're really excited about the direction of the offense, I don't know if you are or you're not. Not really, but I'm I think there's a lot of Seahawks fans that are the whole week are going to say, what's happened to Russell Wilson in the off? Even with the three touchdowns, yep. people are going to be asking this question. And I, I feel like a responsibility on this podcast, because we have 12 listeners that want to know, <laughs> Mitch, Mitch, tell us what, what's, what, what's happened. Why is it different? And I hate having to answer, I don't know. But I don't know. Because if you look at the team from a personnel, I'm talking about the offense from a personnel standpoint, from the first six weeks to now, the differences are shell at right tackle, Obwehi there. Okay, that's a stand, that's a that's a significant decrease, and you're gonna get shell back hopefully against the Rams. You've got Ipati out and Phillips in at guard. I think that that's a very small yeah. setback. Okay. The receivers are the same. The running backs are the same. Actually, the running backs are better now. Well, yeah, Carson missed some games, though. In there, yeah. And, and maybe that maybe that sort of forced Russell to throw it more and be Receiver, more explosive. Tight end, okay. Greg Olson was there then. Greg Olson. I yeah, mean, it's... at 96 years old, does right. Greg Olson really make that? I can't put my finger on Now, there's a lot of people that are yelling right now at the pocket, it's shoddy. Shoddy sucks. Get yeah. him out of here. And there's other people yelling at the podcast right now, it's Wilson. He's overpaid. He's not playing nearly as well as he was. And the truth is, it's probably a mixture of both of those things and some other things. Yeah. And I, I as a negative Nelly and a Seahawks fan, now have a few days between now and the Rams game to convince myself that either the, those last three drives against the Niners jolted them back into, into where we would need them to be or – that there's something that's going to happen between now and the time that they face the very best defense <laughs> in the NFL. And for my money, the best defensive lineman I have ever seen in my life of watching football, I've got to convince myself that we could see more of the first five or six week offense and less of the last five or six week offense. So here's what I'm going to do. Okay. I'm going to give you the best shot I got. All right. 
Before you got here, I said, I got to give, because I expected something different from you. You did. I expected a lot of what I'm doing, which is, God, what's going on with their offense? They just don't have it. And you didn't give me that. I was anticipating that. And I was saying to myself, you got to give Scott and the podcast listeners your best shot at a reason to be hopeful. Well, just know I'm still concerned. For three quarters, they didn't look great. Didn't look great? Yeah. Looked awful. Yeah. I mean, looked like one of the worst offenses in the league. Yeah. So here's my best shot at hopefulness. Okay. And this may be a stretch. You may say, Mitch, you are contorting yourself. (laughs) You're a contortionist to be able to do This is my best shot. Chris Carson, my favorite Seahawk player. Yep. Maybe, maybe not. But for the sake of this this next two (laughs) minutes, let's call him my favorite player. He's at least up there. Chris Carson had 11 carries and 44 yards on Sunday. Four yards a carry. Not his best. Yep. Okay. For the season, for the entire season, he is averaging 4.9 yards a carry. It's good. Every time you give the ball to Chris Carson, you can pretty much jot down an ink. He's going to give you five. Yep. Now, yeah, he's going to give you 10, one, one and two. The, but he's good for five yards a carry. Okay. And yet, and yet, on Sunday, 11 carries. The last five weeks of the season, 13, 12, 15, 16, 11. He hasn't carried the ball one time this year, I don't think, more than 16 times. Now, when you look at guys that average five yards a carry, and we know why. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that the listeners don't understand why. We all know why, because yeah. he's injury prone, and we're worried about he's going to get hurt like he did in the Cardinals game last year. And, and you, okay. you've sort of said you think maybe they're saving him a little I'm bit. I'm getting there. Oh, that, okay. right, that's right. my hope. That's, this is the shot I'm firing. I like it. I'm okay. firing a shot for you okay. about hopefulness. <laughs> right. Okay? When you look around the league at the guys that average five yards a carry, the primary guys, I'm talking about primary guys in teams' offenses that average five, they get it 18. They get it 16 on the low side. He's getting at 16 on the high side, yeah. okay? When you look at the top 11 running backs in the league based on yards this season, okay? He's not one of them because he missed games. Yeah. And you look at their average yards per carry of the top 11 guys. I have to sneeze. Oh, boy. I better get an umbrella. <laughs> Cover myself. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm not editing that. <laughs> Dad, please don't. It's 2021. There are five, four, there are three guys, sorry, of the top 11 rushers, they're not named Chris Carson, that average five yards a carry or more. Aaron Jones, 5.6 Green Bay. Nick Chubb, 5.4 Cleveland. Derrick Henry, the all-world, 5.2. Derrick Henry averages 5.2 yards a carry. Chris Carson averages 4.9 yards a carry. Okay? He's reliable. Sure is. Except for maybe his health. He's reliable. And a bloody ear once in a while. And they're not they're not running him, right? They're not. And he's also one of those guys that gets better as the game goes on because defenses don't want to deal with him later. In the they're not riding his ass, right? Yeah, that's right. Here's my shot that they're waiting to this week. They're waiting for the playoffs, that they've been behind closed doors saying, we can win these games. With, we can get three seeds. We can get home playoff games without killing the guy. He's, he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. We, we're probably not going to sign him. <laughs> we're going to run his ass to the ground starting, and we, that's my shot. And when, and when he gets the ball 20 times, 
in a playoff game instead of 16, 15, 12, and 11. Yeah. Now the play action works better. Now the little rolls and the spins and the play action fakes. Russell the, keeping it on the uh, zone read Everything yeah. becomes a little easier. So here's my shot. I'm okay. firing my shot that on Saturday at 1 Pacific time against the Rams, we're going to see the Seahawks give the ball to Chris Carson. Now, I, I do want to make – there's one caveat because some people might be thinking, Mitch, are you saying that they're throwing too much? Are you saying that you want them to run more than throw? I, I, I don't want to be misunderstood. All right. The re, one of the big reasons that he's not getting the ball that much is not because they're, they're throwing it too much. It's because he's always out of the game. Always. He's got a, he, he does a series. He takes himself out of the oh. game. Penny's in there. Collins, Collins is in there. Every, everybody's. So I'm not suggesting that I want the Seahawks to run the ball more. Please don't misunderstand the podcast. Yeah. I'm saying I want them to run just as much as they want to run and throw the ball. I like them throwing. But when they do run, I want 32 to run it. I'm with you. And if, if 32 is the primary ball carrier when they run, he'll get 16, 18, 19, 20 against the Rams. And maybe that will get the Seahawks offense back. That's the best I got. For I him. like it. No, I like it. Maybe a, a few. He had one reception out of the backfield, I guess. It was, it was beauty. It was, yeah. You've yeah. been calling for that all year. Yeah. Well, he's, he's good out of the backfield for, with receptions right. when they throw it to him. Yeah. Yeah. Early in the year, we were talking about, well, why isn't he in there when it's not? Why isn't he in there all the time? And Brady would say, well, Homer's a personnel. Per, I don't want to hear personnel. He plays. That's your starting running back. He's in there every freaking play, unless he peels off a 65-yarder and he's gassed. Other than that, he's the, in there. The only explanation is they are so scarred from when he got hurt against the Cardinals last year and was had the hip issue and oh. he was done for the playoffs. Yeah. They were so scarred by that. And remember, remember when they went into the playoffs and we were like, who's going to run the ball? They didn't have anybody to run. They were signing guys off the street for the playoffs last year. Yeah. It's possible they were so scarred by that, they were like, that is not happening. When he comes back, we are going to just be very – he is going to be our guy in the playoffs. I don't know. I hope you're right. I like it. No, I don't know. But I I was having this conversation on Twitter. People are like, "What is it? Just me, or does Chris Carson take himself out a lot?" Or he he, does take himself out? We were having this on Twitter. It's it's. it's He does take himself out. He takes himself out. Tapping his head like I I need a blow. Sometimes he wants water and comes out. If if he goes to the sideline on a run, he just stay. It's it's easier just to stay (laughs) there than to go back into the game. Yeah, he'll have a nice run, and then I see Rashad Penny in there. Which brings up which brings up an auxiliary conversation to what I just brought up. Which is, is it him or is it the team that's choosing to keep him on the sidelines? I guess it's a combination of both, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't necessarily agree if that's, if, if in fact they're kind of saving him. It's like if he's healthy, then play him. If he's not healthy. Well, I think now. I think now, now, okay. you, now you press the button. You press the Chris Carson button. And I, again, I, I don't, I'm not suggesting they should run it more. I'm yeah. just saying when they do. Run it to him. That's right. Let's get the five yards. Give me the four nine. I want the four point nine. I'll take it every single time. You give it to him. Whenever you give it to him, I want four point. I get four point nine. That's right. Every I'll time. I'll take it. Yep. I'll take it. I'm with you. No, I don't. I don't mind them giving it to Collins at the end of the game because sometimes those fresh legs can just wear a defense down. So when Collins got it towards the end, and I know there was, you know, they probably wanted to rest Carson, but I, I love that Collins got it there. He was running his ass off, running so it's hard. Not what you love. It's not, it's not that you love that Collins got it. Well, I, I don't mind it, it's I guess. The, it's that you love that Collins got in the end zone on a running play. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah. 
It's it's that that you're getting a free taco at Taco Time on Tuesday. You like the fact that Collins it's true. got into the end zone because we're all going to Taco Time for our buy one, get one free. No, I also like that no, Collins has a little tummy sticking no, out no under No fish. The- no fish. <laughs> no fish. So yeah, don't even try to order the funny thing. Chicken, bean, or, or, or beef. There you go. Yeah. No fish. No fish. Yeah. No fish. I yeah, hope you're right about Does he Collins. have a little tummy coming out of there? Uh, yeah, it was awesome. His shirt kind of came up and you see. Yeah. Does he I mean, have a little beer belly going? I don't know if I'd go that far, but yeah. it, he didn't have abs. And I appreciate that as a running back. <laughs> <laughs> as a running back who also didn't have abs. Oh, I appreciate God. that. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I, you know, before you got here, I was not feeling the Seahawks. I was not liking the Rams. I know everybody wanted the Rams rematch yeah. because Goff was hurt. I, you probably didn't see it. I had it up on one of the screens. I saw him throwing the ball before the, the game today that he didn't play or the game on Sunday that he didn't play. He had nothing but a little bandage, a little Band-Aid on his thumb. He was firing the ball. There's no question. To me, there's no question, even though even though McVay was noncommittal on Sunday after their game of whether he's going to be – watching him throw the ball – there was no, there's no way he's not playing in my mind on Saturday against it. It's going to be golf. It's not going to be yeah. Dave Wolf or John Wolford, whoever that was. I saw that he was questionable for the game against the Cardinals, and I'm like, well, if he's out, he'd be out. Questionable. He probably could have gone. So yeah, yeah, I don't know that he could have gone. That was a that that, that well, he had, had surgery on the 28th. So did yeah. he have surgery? Yeah. Okay, so maybe he won't play. Maybe maybe doctors will say, yeah, we're not risking it. He can't play two weeks after surgery. But based on the way he looked and the way he was throwing it in the pregames before the Cardinals game, he looked fine. But how did he, he look fine. when he was completely healthy against the Seahawks two weeks ago? And that's what everybody wants to and, – and yeah. Seahawks fans are convinced that he sucks and that they can't beat us and they can't beat the Seahawks on Saturday because he's going to be terrible. And, okay, I'm trying not to go there. <laughs> I think that's bad. That's That's – that's playing with the with the NFL gods. That's daring the NFL gods. When you start, I mean, the guy's making a billion dollars. Yeah. He took him to a Super Bowl. He's had good games. It's not like he can't have a good game. Sure. C.J. Beathard had a good game against him on Sunday, a pretty decent game against the Seahawks on Sunday. He did, yeah. Is Jared Goff as good as C.J. Beathard? <laughs> yeah, I would say so, yes. All these people that have just come out of the woodworks and decided that Goff sucks and he can't have a good game against the Seahawks. I don't know. With no fans on su- on Saturday? I don't know. I don't know that he I sucks. I, I I won't go as far as saying I don't think Jared Goff sucks. He did make some questionable throws against the Seahawks. It kind of made me go, I don't know. I don't know. The I don't whole, love him like everyone else. The whole week I heard from people, we've changed our minds. We want the Rams. We want the Rams. And then they got the Rams on Sunday yeah. in the six versus three. I liked your idea of having the game in California. Let's go where there's nice weather. I like that idea more than if it's pouring down rain. I don't want that, man. Well, the Packers are the one, the Saints are the two, and the Seahawks are the three. And what that means is the Seahawks cannot play in Green Bay. For everybody who didn't want to play in Green Bay because of the cold, there's no fans. But you know, if you don't want to go to Green Bay and face Aaron Rodgers, you don't have to worry about that. It's impossible. There is no, there is no scenario where the Seahawks will play the Packers in the second round of the playoffs. None. I like it. I like it. I have. Bad- if they if they win, if they win, yeah. they either play the winner of the Bucks versus NFC East team, oh. which will probably be the Bucks. Tom yeah, Brady dying to not play him, or they'll play. The um, the Saints. What did I say? The Bucks or the the Bucks. If the Bucks beat the Giants or Washington, that winner or yeah. the Saints or the Saints. Yeah, 
Right. Good. Right. I, I don't. I hate snowy games. I have bad memories of Favre underhanding it and all that crap. Right. I hate. I hate going to Green Bay. <laughs> but did you know Aaron Rodgers had never has never been the number one overall seed in his career? No, I didn't know that. I heard that tonight. That's that's interesting. How has he never been the number never one been. seed of all the great great well, he years is now. he's had? He is now. Yeah, he is now, and they get a chance to sit. And you don't want to play. I, I, I think there's. I think there's diminishing returns on the advantage of playing a team that had a bye two weeks after they've played. In other words, I think the team that gets the real short end of the stick is the team that's got to play this week, win, and then go play Green Bay, who hasn't, who's been resting for 14 days. If you play Green Bay the following week, where they've played a game, yeah. I think the bye week is diminishing in terms of its importance. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So I think it's important that the Seahawks cannot play the Packers. There is no combination of victories where the Seahawks could play the Packers in the second week. So the way it works is the Sevens playing the two. New Orleans is playing the Bears, Yep. right? If the Bears win that game, the Seven wins that game, then the Seven goes to Green Bay and the Seahawks play the winner of the 4-5 matchup, which is the Bucks against the NFC East, okay? Yep. If the two... If New Orleans wins, beats the Bears, yep. right? Then the winner of the 4-5 game goes to Green Bay and you go to New Orleans. So it's either go to New Orleans or host the winner of the 4-5 game. I like in the, it. In the second week, if you win. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying you're going to win if you win. Anyway, anything else? Let's talk about, is there anything else about the game that stands out to you that you'd like to discuss first off did, did Jonathan Vilma say that this defense reminds him of the 2013 Legion of Boom defense did I hear that correctly I don't mean to cry he's not good right he's pretty bad Jonathan Who, jo- Vilma he's all right really all these guys they're all right they're all okay all right but he compared where was he four weeks ago hyperbole <laughs> they're looking to make a mark yeah you know, these guys go around different games every week they see the Seahawks twice a year yeah. I mean it's it's not it's not like you and I we sit around all of us see more football than those guys all of us because they see one one, they game, see one yeah. game a week and we sit here and we watch eight games a week right right so it's it's hard all and, right. you know, I, I take everything those guys even the Romos of the world and whomever you know the Troy Aikmans of the world yeah. take them all with a grain of salt all right yeah Jamal Adams yeah, hurt. So the so the big thing this week is going to be we're going to track ch- the three injuries. Three injuries. Uh, uh, Penny's is not to be, believed to be serious, which is a cramp. The Jaron Reed yeah. oblique injury is trouble. You need him. Sure. You need him. You cannot afford to lose Jaron Reed in the, min- in the interior of that defensive line. And then Jamal Adams, according to Pete Carroll after the game, had a shoulder problem, but trainers told him, that he'll be ready to go next week. And it's the other this shoulder, week. not the one he hurt. I don't know. I think it's the other okay. one. Yeah. But I just remember when he was making all those sacks, I remember saying to you, it's great and all, but that's a lot of wear and tear on a guy that's 210 having to rush offensive. You know, they just they used him like a freaking rental car. Full throttle, hit the brakes hard, not my car. They used the crap out of yeah, him. Yeah, but, they knew, when they, but they knew they were buying the rental car at the end of the, at the, end of the term. Yeah, I guess. I guess that's the difference. They're buying this rental car. Yeah, they used the hell they're gonna, out of and him. they're going to spend a lot of money to buy this rental car. Uh, yeah, they I'm, did. They did. I remember thinking, how sad would it be? This guy gets to his first playoff game he ever. Play. He's got a broken sit. down. Nah, he'll uh, be all right. All right, good. That's good to hear. I'd Mike? like to see Jaron Reed play though. Yeah, that'd be nice. Jordan Brooks led him in tackles again. Nine tackles. Love it. Playing better and better, the rookie. Yep. Benson Mayowa, who everybody kind of took a 
leak on earlier in the season, had two sacks and a strip. They had three sacks overall. The defense played okay or better than okay. They played very well, yeah. especially when you consider how little the offense was doing to keep the ball. It seemed like it seemed like the Seahawks' defense was on the field the first three quarters the whole time. Yeah. So when you consider all of that, I think the Seahawks had a fine performance. Seven QB hits. I didn't like the Shaq Griffin getting beaten by a fifth-string wide receiver deep down the field for a guy who's going to ask for $18 million a year next year. I didn't yeah. love that. Yeah, didn't Jonathan can point Vil- that out? Didn't, didn't Vilma say those two have a connection from the practice squad? <laughs> I was like, Jesus, God. We just got beat by two practice squad guys? Holy crap. Yeah, but maybe they don't have to pay him now. So, you know, with the good come the bad. If he has a few more of those. You really listen him. to Jonathan Vilma, don't you? It's weird because usually you the announcers. write down everything that you say they say. The announcers are just white noise typically. I don't know why I was so focused on listening to them. You were zoning in. Who was the other one? Kenny Albert? Yeah. Yeah. Marfson. But yeah. I remember hearing that the practice squad guys just beat Shaq Griffin. Yeah, I didn't like that either. Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf break Seahawks receiving records. Your guy that you said you asked earlier in the year is Tyler Lockett overrated? Yep. He caught about 15 balls on Sunday, something like that. I don't know if it's 15, but 14, yeah, I mean, 12, 12, maybe 12, 12, yeah. 12 balls. You had 100 catches in the course of the season. It's good. You're still thinking that maybe a 100 catch receiver is overrated? I don't know if he is. I asked the question, but he does disappear from time but, to but time. But by asking the question, you were kind of offering an opinion weren't you he does disappear from time to time you he would does. agree with of that of course he does okay yeah, yeah dk metcalf doesn't disappear yes he does well today or yesterday <laughs> <laughs> he did. three yes, catches he does. yes he does does he though yeah All he right. has games where he's he's non-existent the rams game there were games there were games where he had four catches like three or four games in a row is that a is that a big 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 game for how catches? many yards though i mean you know 220 yeah, there you go <laughs> I'm actually kind of glad in a weird way that DK didn't have a huge game because he's not going to have another bad game against the Rams. There's just no way, right? <laughs> All right, you want to tempt the gods. Well, he had a he had a better game the second time around against the Rams. He did, yes. Because they threw him the ball. Yeah. We'll see. Jalen Ramsey's pretty good. Did you see where David Moore caught a ball, a, a, a little sweep rate? They threw it. They threw it to him. Instead of going down on a knee, he changed the play. Russell Wilson changed the play, and he shoveled past it to David Moore on a fly sweep yep. to give him a catch that made him $100,000. We were all scratching our heads at the time, and then, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, makes sense now. That was nice of him to do that. I always wonder if, if the owners are like, Russell, is there any well, money to be spending here? What are you everybody doing? <laughs> was asking the question on social media afterward. Why not just take a knee, and if he's one if he's one catch away, just give him the bonus. Couldn't the couldn't the team just give him oh, the bonus? Yeah. Do they have to hold him to the to the to the reception mark? And I guess the the answer to that is: Do you ever want to set a precedent right. where you reward the guy for not reaching? Then do you have to do it for everybody? Oh, I was within five yards. Exactly. Oh, I was within two catches. Oh, I was within three, three receptions. It's you a know. business. You got to run it that way. You did not hit your mark. Sorry, you're out. So Russell gave him a hundred grand. I like it. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, yeah. The Rams will be here this weekend with, uh, I believe, Jared Goff. First round of the playoffs. What do you think? Can they go all the way? Before I answer that, I had this written down for you. Yeah. Did Pete not use his timeouts correctly before the end of the half? He had three timeouts. It's a three-point game. Like, was there anything weird there that you saw, or did it not bother you? I think Pete Carroll wanted to get to the locker room. After what he had watched the first 30 minutes of that football game, how bad that offense was. And then they, the one time they did try to throw it right before the end of the half, what happened? He got just smashed. Take a knee, forget it. They were like, can we just, can we go to the locker room and have an ice cream? (laughs) Right, let's just get out of here. But but before that, I mean, you have Russell Wilson. Why not take the tie? I know you've been 
yelling this your entire life, but well, it just felt weird to go into the half with three timeouts. Well, there was also at the end of the game when thanks to Jason Myers yeah, and his has, missed has, extra has point. field goal all year. Go on. Yeah, yeah familiar with him. He's fantastic. Yep. All the confidence in him in the world. <laughs> uh, they remember on fourth down, they got to fourth down. They threw the pass, the touchdown pass, the go ahead touchdown pass to Tyler Lockett on fourth down. Yeah. We were outside of the two minute warning at that point. And the Seahawks took their second timeout because the play clock ran down. Oh, yeah. And he had taken the first timeout earlier. So the so the, the, the misuse of timeouts actually forced them to have to really go for it on fourth down. They could have, if you had all your three timeouts left and the two-minute warning, yeah. you could have taken the three and kicked the ball outside of two minutes back to C.J. Beathard and used your timeouts and the two-minute warning yeah. and gotten it back. At least you would have had the option. They didn't even have the option at the end of the game because of the misuse of timeouts. Because of the play clock. By the way, how about that throw on fourth down? We've been talking, I've talked about it with you numerous times. Russell Wilson does, I mean, he, he goes for it. He's a slinger. Fourth down, and he throws that pass. I mean, you got to love That's that. That's the pass him. I thought you were talking about earlier. Oh, I forgot it was fourth down, though, until you said that. Yep. He doesn't care. He is and then did, icy. Did Tyler Lockett bobble that ball for a half a second before mm. he got the two feet in? I was worried a little bit. Did he have possession? Were they going to go to the replay on that? Yeah, maybe. I think a little bit. Can we talk about old man KJ really quick? Sure, he's great. Well, he had three tackles, okay. but that first half, he looked – that hit he put on that fullback, I can't even say coming his last over the, name. Coming over the middle, yeah. Woo! Old man could still hit. I loved it. And then he, he sniffed out a screen pass. And he, yeah, I love how he's playing this year. He's 31 years old, he said on the postgame show with Ian Furness afterward. 31 years old. And he said, I'm playing like I'm 25. That's good. It's a man who wants a new contract. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like one more, just one more contract. One more contract for old number 50. <laughs> Before I retire. Yeah. There you go. So, okay. Is there anything on Tuesday, Alex Collins? We mentioned it before. Alex yes. Collins' late touchdown run means buy one, get one free at all Taco Time locations on Tuesday. I have lunch every Tuesday during the football season, whether they have a running touchdown or not. You can order ahead by downloading the Taco Time app. All Taco Time locations. Buy one, get one free. No fish. That's right. No fish. Go fish. No fish. It's chicken, beef, or bean crisp tacos. Buy one, get one free. Thanks to Alex Collins and his tummy going over the ground. Now grill. people are going to think I'm ripping. I'm not trying to make it. He's not a heavy guy, but he just had a little tummy sticking out. I, I appreciated it. He's going to be pissed. I know. Taking shots at him. It yeah. probably helps a little power luxury well, weight. He, goes, he gets tacos every Tuesday. That's right. That's why he's got it. <laughs> Brian Wheeler telling stories. Woo. Can't wait. Rick Neuheisel and, uh, of course, Brady Henderson, ESPN.com Seahawks Insider. It's episode 124. Playoff time in the National Football League. We've had our fireplace working overtime in the Levy family the last few weeks. Great to welcome back in to Mitch Unfiltered, the owner of our friends at Fireside Home Solutions, John Waterstrat is with us. John, how are things going with the governor's decision to clamp back down for you guys the last couple of weeks? Well, thanks for asking, Mitch. And uh, I know it's tough out there, especially for those restaurant workers and some other industries that have been hurt hard. We feel for them and we're here for you guys. And uh, we have had some different changes uh, with the capacity of our stores. So again, we are limiting the amount of people coming in there. We want to make sure the health and safety of those people that are visiting us. We ask everyone that if you do want to come down, please make an appointment. If you don't, no big deal. We have a border set up, kind of like at a movie theater. Mm -hmm. We'll come get you as soon as 
as we reach you when you come in the door, just to make sure there's not too many people in the showroom. We're trying to keep that into that 25% capacity. So the health and safety of our customers is our top priority. Are you running into any small delays, John, in receiving units from manufacturers as a result of the latest here with COVID? Not out of the normal that we've seen in the last, you know, six months that we've been kind of going through this. Truck drivers getting sick, so trying to find another person. Our manufacturers are actually done really, really well monitoring their cases, doing their temperature checks. If they do have people, quarantining them, keeping them away from each other. So if one does have it, they can keep the manufacturer lines going. But just little delays. But again, customers have been really, really great. If we have delays, we're calling them. They've been very, very gracious at this time. So our members of Mitch Unfiltered, the audience members of Mitch Unfiltered want to start the process. How long are they looking at from beginning to end, from the time they maybe make an appointment to be in one of your showrooms to the time that they're enjoying their fireplace with their families in their living room? Uh, we've spoke about this before, Mitch. It's a, it's a great question. So from the door, you'll get to be able to look at some good units. We'll send out an expert to come do some measurements, and then we'll get you on the installation board. Between that, the showroom, the measurements, and then getting you on the board, anywhere between three to four weeks, and then we can have that beautiful fireplace. Uh, we all know that it's really cold out there right now, especially on those cold evenings as we're staying home more. Just that family gathering area, we can gain that nice warmth and comfort in your home. Three to four weeks start your search for a brand new fireplace at our sponsor mitch unfiltered sponsor fireside home solutions fireside home solutions.com unfiltered blake now throws to roy brandon a three-pointer out front hit it yes he did oh yeah It's been many, many months since our next guest joined us here on Mitch Unfiltered, so much so that we've had lots of listeners request a visit and an update on the health and career of my good friend for the last 25 years. Ladies and gentlemen, here's NBA play-by-play man extraordinaire, The Wheels. Brian Wheeler. How are you, Brian? You know, I, I, was, I found it interesting, Mitch, that uh, when we uh, first uh, started doing some of these uh, wonderful podcasts of yours, that we did a, a bunch in a short amount of time, and then I didn't hear from you for quite a amount. Uh, so I thought maybe uh, there had been some, uh, some backlash <laughs> that maybe, maybe I was either being overused uh, or, you know, or, or maybe that uh, people got tired of me. Maybe, uh, they, maybe all the stories have been told that needed to no, be told. No, no, and no, so, no. So I, so I, was, I was a little concerned. And so I was very excited to get your call again to come back on and uh, restore our uh, podcast level of communication. So as I've been known to do, it's easy to blame somebody else. So let's just say that hotshot Scott, Scott Soden, your old friend, he came aboard and he said, listen, I come aboard with one condition, no more wheels. (laughs) And he said, that's all you want. I can handle that. That's easy. I'll never call the guy again. (laughs) I thought you were going to drive a hard bargain. Oh, I don't think my friend Hot, I don't think my friend Hotshot Scott would say that. Oh but, uh, dear, you never know what he's capable of. Wheels, you never know what he's capable of. Isn't that true in this in this day and age? Yes. All right. So the last time we chat, we uh, we chatted. 
You told us that you were taking a break from broadcasting. The Portland Trailblazers had decided to go in a different direction, at least temporarily. You were going to get better. You were going to get healthier. I know before we have you tell stories, there's people in our audience that are concerned or at least faking like they're concerned. Uh, <laughs> we want to know how you're doing, Brian. Well, I, you know, I'd, I'd love to say that uh, I am uh, fully back to where I'd like to be health-wise, but uh, it uh, continues to be. A uh, work in progress, but I think uh, I think some positive steps taken, and uh, I feel at least we're uh, we're going in the right direction. And I think that uh, 2021 will be a good year uh, to get back to where I'd like to be health-wise, and hopefully that means other things will follow. I think it will. I think it will, it will produce a positive domino effect for uh, a lot of good things to be happening. Now, are you going to get behind the mic at all at any point in 2021? I had read, and you and I even haven't even discussed this off the air that after you were taking a break from the Blazers, there was a point there before COVID that you might do an ESPN radio national broadcast. Is that right? Yeah, it was very frustrating because um, I I was all set up to do a Blazers game here in town. So obviously I was very familiar with the surroundings and how to get to the arena and uh, where to go once I got there. And it was going to be Yusuf Nurkic's return from injury Uh, would have been a uh, game against Houston. So, you know, two playoff caliber teams late in the season. And that was going to be a Sunday national television game on ABC that would also be carried on ESPN national radio. I was going to get my first chance to do a national radio game and then the Thursday before that Sunday the NBA shut down and so didn't have a chance to do that so uh, I, I hope that maybe another opportunity like that, will, like that will come along although it was explained to me when I got offered it that uh, they have some regulars on the staff already at ESPN Radio and usually about three or four of them have to be busy for them to need an outsider this happened to be the day that uh, the NCAA selection committee was going to re- reveal the tournament teams and so forth so a lot of uh, their regular guys were off doing conference tournament finals and so that was opening up uh, the door to uh, have uh, somebody from the outside step in so uh, I, I missed that chance but hopefully there'll be another one okay so the rumors are not true that you were all set to do the ESPN radio show and then you asked the ESPN guy to remind you what Lillard's first name was and and at that point he, they went the other direction there's no truth to that rumor no, no no truth no truth I mean I, I can see how something like that would get out uh, but uh, but uh, no I can I can I can safely here today squelch any, uh, any any chance of that being true I think there's a large portion of our audience wheels that might be interested in knowing your perspective on the Calabro thing all of a sudden we read up here in Seattle that Calabro had decided to quit and not rejoin the Blazers and have time with his family. I think they've replaced him with a former Seahawk wide receiver, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, what's your perspective on all of that? Yeah, I was very surprised, too. And, uh, of course, at the time, um, you know, you weren't sure if it was a, a move on the team's part to cut back on uh, finances because, as we know, KC being the talented broadcaster that he is, he doesn't come cheaply, and that's uh, based on his years of uh, service in the league and so forth. But it was actually all his call. I think he he was a little nervous about the COVID situation. He has a daughter who's uh, going to be giving birth to a to a baby in uh, actually I think in the next month, and he was nervous about coming back potentially from a road trip and having any concern about uh, bringing back uh, something from the road that uh, would would uh, somehow infect uh, his family and uh, and a new baby. So he really, uh, for health reasons and and just nervousness about what COVID was going to be all about, uh, I've talked to him a few times. I think. Maybe there's a part of him that feels like uh, he maybe jumped the gun a little bit too soon, but it was right around the time that his new contract was going to 
actually the final year of his contract was going to kick into gear, and so he felt like he needed to let the team know uh, rather than start collecting paychecks on a on a new uh, budget year. He felt he needed to let them know that uh, this is not a great time for me to continue doing the games. But I don't think we've heard the last of him. I, I think he I think he certainly is uh, of a of a mindset that uh, maybe after this year is over and maybe after things hopefully get back to normal right. that uh, he would he would come back. And I, I think his greatest hope has always been that uh, the NBA realizes its error of the past and and brings the nba back to sure. uh, to seattle whether as a team moving there or, an, or as an expansion team and if that happens i think obviously uh, kevin is the natural guy to be either the tv or radio voice in that situation and that would probably be the best scenario for him for all things uh, considered but i think i think you will see him back behind an nba microphone to some uh, extent at some point in the future Calabro on tv for the new sonics team and wheeler on radio how about that dream team you like I that about that and I've thought about that and I think that would uh, that would be a lot of fun I, I you know I obviously have great great memories of my time in Seattle and uh, and of great friends uh, such as yourself that uh, are still there and so it would be uh, a fun thing to be a part of and uh, so if that's uh, if that's what the future would hold I think I'd, I would sign up for that without any problem okay so let's assume the new Sonics ownership let's really be aggressive with our our fantasies here let's say the new the new Sonics ownership says yeah yeah, we need a radio guy. We're going to put Calabro on TV, and we need a radio guy. This wheels, we hear he's good, but we need some verification from somebody in his first year with the Blazers that may have really enjoyed his work. We need a story from when he first joined the Blazers. Was there any kind of celebrity who would document just how good Brian Wheeler was at painting a picture? for us on radio. Is there anybody that we could reach out to? Well, I think uh, I, I'm not sure this gentleman would remember the story, but I, <laughs> I certainly will never forget it because uh, because uh, of, of his status as the celebrity that uh, he has been. But but there was a Blazers game in my first season in which uh, Stevie Wonder attended the uh, the game in Portland. He was seated, uh, seated courtside on the first row. Apparently he uh, had some kind of a relationship with Jimmy Jackson, who was on the Blazers team at the time. And so, um, you know, I I'm observing Stevie during the game, and he, you know, he, he had his big smile almost all the time, and and uh, was clapping a few times. And I really was wondering, you know, how is he following the game? I mean, that was that was just a, a legitimate uh, curiosity, uh, obviously. And so the game ended, and and one of the people from his uh, traveling party came over and uh, introduced themselves to me and said, uh, "Hey, uh, uh, Stevie wanted to talk to you. He was listening." to your broadcast all throughout oh. the evening and really enjoyed how you called the game. And he said it really added to his enjoyment of the game. He would love to talk with you and, and tell you how much uh, wow. uh, he, li he liked what you did. And so I had never at that point uh, allowed my partner, Mike Rice, to begin a post-game show on the radio. But for that day and that situation, <laughs> I did let him do it because I went to the back uh, to Paul Allen's kind of a VIP area and uh, got a chance to meet Stevie. Unfortunately, it was before, you know, phones had cameras and so forth, so I don't have any visual evidence of it. But uh, he was very, very gracious and uh, very kind, and uh, it was a, a genuine thrill. To, I mean, I've obviously been a big fan for a long time, and for him to say that he was a fan for one day of uh, my work, that was a uh that, that was that was more praise than wow. I could have uh, could have expected to get from anybody. So so yeah, when I talk about and Chick Hearn, when I grew up in Los Angeles, listening to him, he always would say, if I can if I can somehow make a blind person 
feel like they are experiencing the game, I know I'm doing my job. And he just said a blind person in very general terms, of course. Yes. And uh, here was a situation where I could say in very specific terms that Stevie Wonder uh, felt like he was experiencing a game that maybe he wouldn't have uh, enjoyed uh, had he not been listening. So it was um, it was a great, great uh, moment and uh, certainly one of the great brushes with fame that I've, I've ever had. Did he, he at any point, did he at any point tell you that you miscalled Anything that was going on. <laughs> you know, I've heard Stevie say on more than one occasion that he actually has driven a car on, on you know, more than once. Well, so, so I, I, don't, I don't, I don't, I don't doubt that he has the capability of uh, maybe some, you know, some uh, discoveries that maybe well, not just every blind person can can have. I can send you a video now. I know a lot of our listeners will remember this. I've had a conspiracy theory for a long time that. Maybe Stevie can see a little bit more than we think because there's a, there's a video out there that made the rounds where he's in a he's in a group. I think it might have been the We Are the World or whatever, and somebody comes in and knocks a microphone down, and he catches it. He catches the microphone as it as it's going down. So I don't know. I, I you know it, I'm glad that you painted a great picture for him, but it may just be that he was watching the game the whole time. Anyway, that's a great com- that's the I, I would think that you couldn't get a better compliment than that. And uh, I'm glad that you shared that story with our listeners. Listen, I need a couple of others now. Since you're on Mitch Unfiltered, I've heard you tell some other stories. I know there's a Jerry Sloan story that you're going to tell, but is was there anybody? I, I want to call him colorful, J.R. Ryder. Is he J.R. Ryder or is he Isaiah Ryder or is he both? I don't know. When he was on the Blazers, that must have been a particularly interesting time, Wheels. Yeah, I, I only had the chance to experience Jr. for his last season in Portland, and uh, I do remember that they were doing a lot to try to repair his image, to try to let people believe that he wasn't uh, as bad as maybe some some folks thought. I, I could probably tell some stories that maybe wouldn't be so good for our PG audience. So, so I'll tell I'll tell one that is that is uh, that is really just Jr. at his at his best, and he was he was terrific at kind of uh, being able to manipulate uh, scenarios to his advantage or when cornered, was very good at kind of getting out of sticky situations. So before I arrived, Bill Shanley, of course, was the legendary voice of the Trailblazers, and uh, he was uh, on the team bus going to a practice with uh, Mike Rice, who had become my partner once I got to Portland. And JR got on the bus. He was almost always the last one on the bus. And so he was uh, making his way to the back of the bus and was sporting a new pair of tennis shoes. Uh, Shans noted this and uh, and spoke to Jr. and said, "Man, those shoes are really sharp, Jr. That you know, uh, you look really good in those." And he goes, "You like these?" He said, "I'll get you a pair. What's what's your what's your shoe size?" And whatever Sean said, uh, twelve. And he goes, "I'll have them for you next week." So he walked to the back of the bus and Mike Rice said to Sean Lee, "He said, you know, you're never going to see those shoes." And he goes, "No, no, you heard him. You heard him. He's going to have them for for me next week." So Sean's waited a week. And nothing happened. Waited another week and then decided maybe I should ask for progress report. So he saw JR and he said, JR, any any word on those shoes you're going to get me? He goes, oh, you know what? You wanted the same kind like I have, you know, blazer colors, right? And he goes, yeah. He goes, my stupid agent, he got some that were blue and gold. I knew you wanted red and black. He goes, they're coming next week. <laughs> so he waited another week. Nothing happened. Waited one more week. Decided for another progress report was in order. And he said, JR, anything going on with those shoes? He goes, you know what? 
He said, uh, he said, you know, my stupid agent, he, I, the, the shoes came in and they were two left feet. I knew you couldn't use that. So, so I said, I said, you got to get the right, the right kind. And he said, you know, he apologized. They're coming next week. So he waited another week and waited another week after that and said, I'm going to ask for another progress report. He said, JR. Uh, anything going on with those shoes? You know what? He said, uh, he said, he said, he said, uh, you wanted size what? He said, 12. He said, my stupid agent, he got 16. I know those were too big for you. They're coming next week. So at that point, Sean's gave up asking about the shoes and they never did come. But he was amazed to, 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 rec- to recall that on every occasion, JR, not necessarily knowing what Sean's was going to ask him at that moment, that after saying, you know what? He came up with a different excuse every time. They all sounded plausible, and he kept the thing going, never once admitting that Wait a the second. shoes were never going to Wait come. Wait a second. They all sounded plausible. <laughs> well, I, okay. I mean, come on. I mean, two left feet? Two, <laughs> <laughs> two left feet sounds plausible. Your idea, we got we to gotta, we gotta, we gotta calibrate our idea of plausible. Two well, I mean, I guess, I guess something that could have happened. So it could have happened. I, guess. I mean, the fact that they were fresh stories, there was not the same excuse every time, and he remembered what he had two said the time before. But, <laughs> I mean, God it, almighty. I never just, heard in my life of a pair of shoes coming with two left feet. Oh my God! That's a real uh, bad screw up at the at the shoe factory <laughs> when you get a look at them like that. Oh, but it, it's just it's. I mean, the only thing that would have been better is if on the next time after the two left feet, he said two right feet came this <laughs> right. time. Right, that would that would have been. Yeah, that was probably the next one if Shans had kept going for 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 questioning when the shoes were going to come. I'm surprised he did it three times, but he decided uh, after the third one, I'm probably not seeing this now. The only one I can tell you real quick, uh, uh, and again, I probably could tell you an hour's worth of JR stories, but. But he did have a birthday that he celebrated uh, on a Friday night. The Blazers were playing a home game, and we were leaving right after the game to go to Los Angeles. And so we got uh, into the uh, – we pulled into the hotel in L.A. probably about 2.30 in the morning after the game. And, of course, it was going to be back-to-back. And I said to Jr. as he was getting off the bus, I said, I said, man, Jr. you know, happy birthday. I mean, it's too bad you're not going to really have a chance to celebrate. Said, what are you talking about? <laughs> and he, and he, got, he got off the bus, and there was a limo waiting for him. The door, the door opened, and there were three ladies that I could see were already in the limo and he had this big smile on his face as he walked over and waved to everybody as he got into the into the limo and the next night I said I, I don't know if he's going to be worth very much the next night and sure enough he was he was awful at the start of the game the best thing about that Blazer team was that Jimmy Jackson was available if JR was not going to be ready to play uh, right. for whatever reason Jimmy Jackson was a right. very good substitute when that season ended I was stunned that Bob Whitsett the Blazer GM was able to trade to get Steve Smith a quality uh, uh, two guard that almost helped the Blazers win a championship he got Steve Smith from Atlanta for JR and Jimmy Jackson now the the, the general manager in Atlanta at that time I, I lose track of which there were about three Babcocks that were in person <laughs> personnel in the NBA. So I don't know which one. It might have been Pete Babcock. That was that was the GM of the Hawks at the time. His brother had been the GM in Minnesota when Jr. was there. His own brother tells him, "You don't want any part of this guy." I mean, I I was yeah. you know I was that was the GM, and believe me, he was terrible. You don't want any part of this guy, and yet the guy still yes. traded for Ryder. Yes, because and, and, because Babcock also spoke to Stevie Wonder. <laughs> 
And, Steve, and Stevie said, I've seen it with my own eyes. The guy is unbelievable. Or JR, or JR promised him some shoes. I don't, I don't know what. But somehow or another, he went through with that trade. I was stunned that the Blazers could get anything, anything uh, meaningful for JR Ryder in a trade. But they uh, did, and uh, he became somebody else's problem at that point in you time. You mentioned this guy, Rice. You and Rice, Rice was quite a character. You guys were down oh. in Utah oh. for a playoff game, either at Utah or in Portland. And Rice almost had it out with Jerry Sloan, a Hall of Fame head coach in the NBA, right? Yeah, that was my first uh, season as well. It was it was in Portland. Blazers and Jazz are playing in the playoffs, and uh, it's Game Three in uh, Portland. Blazers split the first two in uh, in Utah, and they're blowing the Jazz out. It's a Saturday afternoon; they're blowing them out. But late in the game, Jerry, Jerry Sloan, I guess, decided that maybe to take some steam out of the Blazers' victory, he's going to call his timeouts, even though the game is a twenty-point contest. There's nothing really. You know that he can do to uh, to to affect the outcome at that point, but by the time he called his second time out, uh, you know the crowd got a little restless. We're down at the other end uh, by the Blazer bench, and Mike Rice gives Jerry Sloan the wave off of like you know what, what are you what are you doing? Puts the hand in the air, gives the gives the gives the push back towards Sloan. Like what are you doing? You don't call these timeouts, and and I and I can see I'm looking down at that at the uh, Jazz huddle, and Jerry Sloan is coming out, and and he does a double take. I mean he 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 must have very good eyes because he saw Rice and 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 wanted I think make sure that he saw what he thought he saw, and so. He kind of looked down, and I could see him mouthing some things toward Rice, and I and I knew very well he was he was he was not in a very good mood. Obviously, his team's getting blown out. Now he's got the other team's announcer giving him some flack. So we'd used up all our commercials at the time, so we stayed uh, there on site, and uh, and I brought up to the audience what was happening, and Rice kind of turned his head toward me, so he wouldn't be looking at all at uh, at Jerry. And I said, Mike, what are you afraid of? I said, you grew up in the mean streets of Detroit. He, he grew up in Evansville. I mean, you could take him in a fight if it came down to it and he said no 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 he goes no no i don't want i don't want to have anything to do with that no 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 and he all of a sudden got very very nervous for whatever reason so then jerry sloan calls one more time out and he looks down toward rice and i could read his lips this time he said is that okay he, 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 he said that and rice again wouldn't look at him wouldn't look at him at all so the game ends and uh, and I, I'm I'm getting ready to leave the building. I go into the press room to get some uh, some some final game note, uh, you know, post game notes. And I turn a corner, and it turns out I'm I'm just happen to be perfect timing. Walk right in front of Jerry Sloan, who's also going into the uh, press room with uh, his uh, with the Jazz PR director. And I hear him say to the Jazz PR director, "Is that the radio guy?" And I thought. <laughs> I was going to get this big, you know, long arm stretching out to grab me by the shoulders and pull me back. But he didn't say anything to me. But later that day, I did talk to our PR director, and he said he got a call from the Jazz PR director who said, my coach wants to beat up your color analyst. And so so <laughs> it, it never got to fisticuffs, but it was very close to. And, uh, and I think had Mike Rice done anything more at that point uh, to accelerate the situation, Jerry Sloan might have uh, forgotten where he was and decided that talking to the Jazz in the huddle was not as important as challenging the uh, other team's color analyst. So fortunately, nothing came of it beyond that, but I could definitely see that it uh, was something that could have uh, uh, actually been very interesting had, had uh, Jerry decided to provoke the situation any further. Wheels, watch what I do here, okay? Watch what I do here. Yeah. These are all great stories. You ought to write a book. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Now, isn't that great timing? Because uh, I am writing a book. Although, unfortunately, the book I want to write, which has those stories, 
Uh, I can I can talk about the Stevie Wonder story, but unfortunately, the Blazers are not very comfortable with me writing a story talking about uh, players of the past. And so, even though I you know I don't think I don't think anybody would be uh, discovering something new to say. You mean J.R. Ryder wasn't necessarily a great character guy? You know, just, I mean, wait so, a second. You mean Stevie Wonder's blind? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, just, yeah, I, mean I, I, I don't think I'd be necessarily uh, giving giving people uh, information that they haven't probably gotten elsewhere. But for whatever reason, I think it was a great fear that somebody that worked for the team would go write a book about Paul Allen, and and I think they really wanted to protect uh, the privacy of the of the late Blazer owner. And I can understand that i mean but but I, I i could do a whole book and never mention paul's name once really uh if you know if it came down to that but the book i'm doing is a little bit more of a personal book kind of uh, overcoming some uh personal and professional challenges to uh to get uh, my my career to where it was and hopefully will be again so uh that book hopefully it's it's in the it's in the mid stages of being done and hopefully we'll be ready to uh, be sold on Amazon and maybe at a bookstore near you uh, sometime in February, I'm hoping. Please leave me out of it, okay? Uh, yeah, I think, I think we can probably write it without your name in there too. Although I, I could write a good story about some experiences we've had and uh, they would probably fall into a, a category of, of something people would be very interested in, I'm sure. You've told many of the stories on the air before, so it wouldn't be something that people haven't heard. But but to have it as a keepsake in a book, I think, would be something well, that would be very, very interesting. I think the best chapter, which would also be the shortest chapter, is your experiences at Dan Zucker's wedding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, and I... I I don't know if I'll ever be married, but I would invite Zuck to the wedding, and I wouldn't blame him if he said he was coming and then didn't show up. Because that would be the ultimate payback. Come on. I, we had to get our money back in the late games. We had to get our money back in the late games, Wheels. It's, it's, so you it's got, so you, look, insane. Look, life is about priorities, okay? Zucker's wedding was important, but we had to get our money back. We had to chase in the late action, right? didn't we? Oh, it's so it's so insane. I mean, now you, you – I've told you the story. I've told you the story, the, the best gambling story ever involving a cousin of mine uh, that. Uh, better that, than that, better than me and Jenna. Yes, it's better than you and Jenna. It's okay. better than you and Jenna. So okay. You, you you remember the uh, you remember the great historic Bills Oilers playoff game, the big sure. the big rally sure. with Frank Reich and sure. company. Well, uh, friend and friend and I, we used to gamble uh, on sports when I lived in Chicago, and we did so well that we actually uh, broke a bookie in Chicago. We wouldn't take our action anymore. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, you, you rarely see that happen, uh, you know, anymore. So the deal was that we were using a handicapping service out of uh, Las Vegas. Uh, Dan Pastorini, um, who I, 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 sure. I remember remember as a, as a quarterback, I didn't know that he actually knew anything about handicapping, but maybe just lent his name to it. But anyway, he had a handicapping service, and, you know, you would pay these people to give you the expert advice, so to speak, on who to select in a game. So we're actually uh, making uh, a great profit on uh, the bowl games. And so now the NFL playoffs come, and we don't have necessarily any way to, anywhere to place our bets. So I called my cousin uh, in Las Vegas. I knew that he was a gambler. He was um, in his early 20s at the time, but I knew he was a gambler. And so I said, I said, Chris, do you have a, um, a bookie that we could put some, some bets through? Because, you know, we're coming up to some big selections uh, from the handicapping service. And so, and the handicapping service had told us that they had a special, a wise guys special on the, on the, on the Bills Oilers game. And, 
and they, they claim that they 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 had knowledge of wise guys coming into town <laughs> to place a bet on this game, and that then they didn't always do it, but when they did, they were almost always right. So. And when we bought this hook, line, and sinker, so so <laughs> so you had to pay a little extra to get the to get the pick. We we call in for the pick that day. They said, "Take the Oilers and the three points. You won't even need them. They're going to win the game outright." And so I said, "Well, how much should we bet on this?" And they said, uh, and and our advisor said, "As much as you think you can lose. I mean, just 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 go hot and heavy because it's going to win easily." And I said, "Wow, okay." So at the time, we are up. Eighteen thousand dollars total, which we thought was a million. I'm, I'm up. I'm up like twelve thousand. My partner's up six. So I said, "What should we do?" And, and he said, "Well, let's put half of it there on, on there." So so we put nine thousand dollars on the game, on the uh, Oilers, Oilers getting three points. Yeah. So. My partner goes to, to Florida with his girlfriend on a trip. I go to the same sports bar. You know, it's, it's like it's like us going to Charlie Max. I go to the same sports <laughs> bar that, that we had. Uh, I watched the first half, and, of course, the Oilers are killing the, the, the Bills at halftime. I get into my car. I have a bottle of champagne at home. I'm going home, and I'm, I'm getting ready to pop that bottle of champagne because now we're going we're gonna to be rich with all this money that we're going to make off of this game. I turn the radio on, and a guy that I know you, you're, you're familiar with, Howard David, is doing the play-by-play on, on, uh, on uh, Westwood Run Radio uh-huh. of the game. And it's a 10-minute drive from the sports bar to my apartment. Early in the description, I get in right about the time the third quarter begins. Right early in, in his uh, call of the second half, of course, uh, the Oilers turn the ball over, Bill score, and he says, you know, there's a long way to go in this game, fans. I mean, this game is far from over. And I'm thinking, Howard, I know you got to say that to keep people listening, <laughs> but this game is over, you know. So I drive a little further. Another touchdown for the Bills. As I said, this game is uh, far from over. And I'm like, shut up. I mean, just shut up. In my own mind, I'm thinking, and every gambler can, can relate to this, if I can get in front of the TV somehow, I can prevent this from getting any worse. And before I get home... The Bills score again, and he said, "As I said, this game is." And I said, "Ah, oh, shut up!" And now I'm yelling at the radio to Howard David, who can't hear me, of course. But somehow, I'm venting my first frustration. So I run up to my apartment, get in front of the TV, and of course, field goal in overtime. The Bills win by three, so the game is a push. We don't lose, we don't win. It's a push. You know, my partner called me and he said, "Tell me that we had three points." I said, "Yeah, we had three. We didn't lose. Crazy game. You know, we should have won." At that point, I call my cousin the next day. Now, he had told me that even though we won on the bowl games the week before, that the bookie that he was going through was going to wait until the first round of the NFL playoffs were over to pay us. So I called him. I said, hey, you know, crazy game yesterday. And I told him about the fact that the, uh, the handicapping service had picked uh, the Oilers. And I said, hey, you might want to throw some money on this game yourself. They're really sure about this. Uh, he told me that, uh, you know, he would uh, get back to me the next day. I don't hear anything the next day. And then I don't hear anything for another day. So now I'm getting a little nervous. I call him back. Who's this? And he says, Who's this? J.R. Ryder with the shoes? <laughs> yeah, almost. Almost. I call back and I, and, and, and I get my cousin on the phone. He said, hey, uh, you know what? Uh, there, was no, there was no bookie. My roommate was taking the uh, bets because oh he, thought, he thought you guys were going to lose because he didn't believe in handicapping services. And he was convinced you guys were going to lose. And now he's very nervous because, obviously, uh, he owes you a lot of money. And he doesn't know if he can pay it. I said, well... Chris, you got to put him on the phone. I said, this is, uh, we got to work this out, you know. And uh, this guy's acting as the bookie, supposedly. So we're up still the $18,000 oh, okay. that he isn't, uh, we haven't got paid yet. Okay. So then um, all of a sudden, 
My cousin's sister, who's living in Milwaukee, calls me, and I hadn't talked to her in a long time, and she said, hey, I got to tell you what's going on in reality. Uh, there was no roommate. Chris was taking the bets. And, uh, and, and he owes you the money. Oh, oh that's, just, that's just bad. Uh, so, and she goes, well, it's, it's even a little worse because when you told him that the game was going to win outright, he scrounged up $5,000 of his own money. Bet the money and he lied. Went, he bet the money lied. He bet the money lied. He's going to get $15,000, and he's going to owe, you know, he's only 18. He figures, out oh, it's close enough. You know, I'll give him 15. They'll set up for that. It explains why he sounded a little disappointed when I talked to him the first time, because not only was he not in a position to pay us the 18000 but now he's lost 5000 of his own money, so he's really in a bad spot. So... So I said, well, Natalie, you got to have him call us. we got to figure this out. Meanwhile, my partner says, hey, I know a guy that for $4,000, he'll go out and break legs if need be. You know? and, 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 and I said, well, guys, let's see if we can work this out without any violence or something. But but he's ready to really, you know, he has no connection, you know, family-wise with this whole thing. So, so he's ready to just say, hey, uh, you know, I, I want the money. And so Chris's parents call me up, and then they say, they say, hey, the kid's in no position to pay you the money he owes you. But meanwhile, his, his mom gets on the phone initially, and she goes, I don't understand. How does Chris owe you money? And I said, well, you know, because he was acting as a bookie, and, and, and we won the money. She goes, well, I don't understand. You sent him money, and then he, he went to a sports book, and, and he's not paying you back uh, the money that you won? And I said, no, Patty, do you understand that, that the way it works with a bookie is you call the bet in, and if you win, he pays you. If you lose, you know, I, I, and she goes, well, I don't understand. I understand. And I said, Patty, do you believe that if the things were on the other, uh, you know, on the other foot that he would have said, to us, hey, you know what, guys? You don't owe me eighteen thousand dollars. You know, I, I was really, the, I was really the bookie. So, so well, let's call it even. We were just having some fun. Um, I mean, he would have been threatening us if we said that we didn't have the money to, to send. And she goes, I don't understand. And she was very blind to, to the whole situation about you know just trying to defend her son or whatever. And so, so his dad says to me, all we can put together is forty five hundred dollars. That's all we can do. I I knew at that time that if we couldn't collect the money that we had legitimately earned through sweating out all those games and all we could get out of it was forty five hundred dollars. That was actually the turning point for me in sports gambling because I said if we can't if we can't collect what we what we earned, I said I don't think sports gambling is for me. And I really have, have I think I could count on one hand the number of games I've bet on since then over uh, the years. So that so that that drove me out of sports gambling because my stupid cousin is trying to act as a bookie uh, and then didn't have the money to pay me. Oh boy. And that's after Zucker's wedding or before Zucker's wedding? Uh, that's after. Okay. <laughs> no, wait, I'm sorry. It's before. It's before because okay. I, was, I was still in Chicago. So, okay. All right. So okay. maybe, maybe it was a – because, yeah, that, that's right. We did do some betting in Seattle. So, uh. so, so I wasn't quite over it yet. <laughs> Not as much as I thought, I guess. <laughs> I had a little respite, though, before I got to, to Seattle. And then you brought, you brought it out of me again. I blame you. <laughs> oh, oh God. I'm Such sorry, that was a long story, but, but it, was, oh, it, was, it, was, it was a good gambling story. Well, we else. started on episode 124. It's now 125. <laughs> oh, I've never been accused of brevity. Uh, that's, sure. <laughs> that's it, ladies and gentlemen. Brian Wheeler, we'll see him. Hopefully, we'll hear him back calling NBA basketball, which is what he is made out to be, a great play-by-play man. I wish you a happy and healthy start of the new year. I wish you all the best health. 
Let's get you back in shape and in any way that we can help up here in Seattle. We're ready for you, Brian. We love you, and thank you very much for being back on Mitch Unfiltered. You're the best, my friend. I love you, too, and uh, Happy New Year to you and to everybody listening. Great people in Seattle that I'll always remember and maybe have a chance to, uh, to be in their midst again someday soon. Jordan Flowers of the Kirkland office at Guild Mortgage is back with us, not to talk refinances and interest rates this time, but instead three charities that are on his team's mind this holiday season. How are you, Jordan? Hey, Mitch. I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks for having me back on. Happy holidays to you and everyone. Yeah, Guild is a huge proponent of just serving the communities we work and live in. We serve kind of with our time and hours throughout the year. During this holiday season, we're focused on Youth Eastside Services, or YES, Children's Hospital and uh, organization called Girls on the Run. Let's break them down. Youth East Side Services is what, Jordan? Yeah, it's an organization that focuses on helping children, teams, and families that are struggling with depression grief, trauma, substance abuse, eating disorders, and a bunch of other issues. And it's just um, helping them find counseling and support to help these children get through these times. YouthEastSideServices.org for more information. How about Girls on the Run? Girls on the Run, I was introduced to recently, but it's a great organization that helps uh, young girls and women find confidence and self-esteem through athletics. And they go out and recruit coaches to build these programs at local grade schools and middle schools. Girlsontherun.org. And of course, all of us know about uh, Seattle Children's, but how about the Uncompensated Fund for Children's Hospital, Jordan? Yeah, Children's, everybody knows, phenomenal hospital and institute for people here locally. But the Uncompensated Fund really focuses on families that receive the hard news of very expensive surgeries and then possibly not being able to afford those surgeries and what might come of that from foreclosing on a home or going bankrupt really because they just don't have the coverage for it. So the uncompensated fund goes towards helping those families cover the cost of those surgeries. Terrific work, Jordan. They're driven to give back. That's the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Unfiltered. Second down and five into the end zone. Jeff Wilson for a 49ers touchdown. Wilson looking on fourth down, lobs one up to the end zone, and the catch is made for a touchdown by Tyler Lockett on his 100th reception of the season. Wilson hands it off. This is Collins, dives for the end zone, touchdown! It was a difficult day for us. We didn't play the way we wanted to uh, on offense early on. Defense played great for a long time, and then we let them get out on a couple big plays, and they did, they did some nice stuff. Um, but all in all, when it came down to it, we had to win in the fourth quarter, and our guys did. I'm really fired up that, that we continue to be a finishing club, you know, and, and uh, we, we, we find ways to do it. We, you know, we can match up our numbers at the end of the season with anybody. You know, finishing strong is always something that we love, and here we go. You know, here comes playoff time, so the, the start to this finish begins. It's official. The Seahawks find a way to squeeze out a win over the Niners. Finish the season 12-4, and four, three seed. A third Rams game comes on Saturday. Brady Henderson, ESPN.com Seahawks insider. Aboard thanks to Taco Time Northwest. A free crisp taco with the purchase of another on Tuesday. Thanks to Alex Collins reaching the end zone late in the game. Order ahead on the Taco Time Northwest app. Brady, it wasn't pretty. It looked an awful lot like the Cardinals game last year. The Giants game this year. Take your pick. 
I, I was even going to say it looks kind of like the Rams game from last week, at least for, for most of that. It, it was sort of in this game, it was, again, their offense closing it out after a pretty rough start to the game. And um, it was all field goals in the first half. And then you saw their offense kind of come alive there late in the game with, uh, I think, two touchdowns to Tyler Lockett in the fourth quarter and then also that Alex Collins run. And it, it was really kind of a continuation of the role reversal from the beginning of the season for most of this game with the defense playing pretty well, offense really, you know, struggling. Who would have thought that that would be the case really from a lot of the second half of this season based on how things went in the first half when the offense was unstoppable, Wilson was an MVP candidate, the defense was, you know, setting records for futility. So that role reversal kind of continued for much of this game until the offense pulled away late. And uh, the defense, I thought, was good for the most part, say for that kind of stretch late in the first half, early in the second in the second half when you know the 49ers scored on four straight possessions. Uh, but they still closed that game out with a strip sack. Their pass rush was there. And, um, yeah, I think that's going to help them out in the playoffs. Again, as we've talked about, when the quarterbacks start getting a lot better than what they've faced. Any explanation from Carroll or Wilson or any speculation on your behalf as to what the problem offensively was the first three quarters for Russell Wilson and the Seahawks? I have my own theory. I'll lay on you after I throw the ball to you. They were getting pressured quite a bit, and it didn't seem like they were handling that pressure all that well. And you, know, you look at the fourth down, or sorry, the third down numbers. They were four of twelve. I know there was a couple plays, a couple third down situations early in that game where it was third and eleven, uh, third and twelve. So just unrealistic third down situations. And I was surprised that Wilson was only sacked twice, just because of the amount of pressure that he seemed to be under uh, in the first half. It would give you the impression that he was sacked a lot more times than that, but. That, that's that's the first thing that comes to mind is they were getting pressured quite a bit and they didn't really handle it all that okay. well in the first half. That feeds into what I'm going to say beautifully because I have a strong belief that for some reason Brian Schottenheimer and the Seahawks go away from those designed rollouts and moving Wilson outside the pocket in the passing game for long chunks at a time of the game. They come out with it in the pre-scripted you know, first 15, first 20 plays, then they go away from it. Uh, case in point on Sunday, if you go back and you look at that first drive in the fourth quarter where they ultimately scored the touchdown, they got back to a lot of fake pitches, fake handoffs, and rollouts where Wilson is so great on the edge. Do you see that, or is that me kind of making something out of nothing? I, I That does not stand out to me when I watch it, but I could believe that, and, and I, I don't know exactly why that would be. I mean, typically in those those first 10, 15 plays, whatever you are, I mean, a lot of offensive coordinators consider that kind of a fact-finding mission where they're trying to figure out what the defense is going to do when you give them uh, certain formations and run certain plays, and, and they're really sort of running those plays with an eye toward what's going to happen later in the game. So maybe, you know, that sort of objective doesn't really lend itself to, to getting Wilson outside the pocket. That would be my only thought there, if that is indeed the case. It, I certainly notice it that when they do get him outside the pocket and, you know, when they get him out on the run with an option to run or to pass, you, you often see those deep throws. That's where they connect on a lot of those deep throws. And as we know, that's where a, a huge part of their offensive success comes from is those deep passes and a lot of times you see it when Russell is outside the pocket and he just has a ton of time to wind up and unload a ball and then usually you see either DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett running underneath it. I'm also curious about Chris Carson 
In the last five games, I think he's carried the ball 11, 12, 15, 16, 11 times. I don't think he's carried the ball more than 17 times in any given game this year. I've been wondering aloud for the last many weeks whether they were saving him for the postseason. Is it possible that now the Rams game is here, the playoffs are here, he's a free agent at the end of the year, and we take the, we take the leash off and we see him carry the ball much more often? And the second part of that question, there are people that are noticing on social media, even Scott brought it up on the podcast, that he seems to take himself out of the game a lot. You notice that, Brady? Yeah, I've noticed that. I've, I've noticed that since his rookie season. I mean, the, the four games, whatever he played in his rookie season, I, I've noticed that. I, I maybe chalked that up to the fact that the guy runs his tail off and he delivers a lot of blows, takes a lot of blows. So maybe that's just a product of the running style more than anything. In fact, I remember one play in training camp as a rookie when Carson was really flashing as a rookie in 2017 and remember he broke off one long run and then he kind of you know waved gestured towards the sidelines as though to say you know somebody replaced me and then Doug Baldwin ran after him and said no no that that was a case maybe of just being winded but I think more so it's just about the fact that he takes a lot of contact and so um, in terms of maybe saving him for the postseason on one hand I don't know why they would do that because they have Carlos Hyde. I know he didn't play in this game, but you know they've had Hyde there as a nice early down compliment to Carson, and so I don't know why you would really have to save him for the postseason when you've got that good solid backup there. But then again, maybe that also is a reason why you do it in the regular season because you know that you can give those carries that you're not giving to Carson uh, to a capable Cable will back up and hide, but th- whatever the reason is, the, the numbers, you know, n- and not any more than 17 carries in any game this season, that really does stand out for a guy who has really been their primary guy and for a team that likes to run the ball as much as the Seahawks do. The fact that he is not top 17 carries in any game this season, that definitely does stand out. Talk to me about Jamal Adams, Jaron Reed, Brandon Shell's availability at uh, right tackle, and what kind of a drop-off, if any, you think there is from Ayapati to Simmons? Brady. Simmons has played pretty well, and I, I don't think the drop-off from him, uh, from Ayupati to Simmons, is as big as the drop-off from Shell to Obwehi. Now, that said, Obwehi has played pretty well, especially uh, in that Washington game and, again, against the Rams. Uh, but, you know, I think that the drop-off is smaller between Ayupati and Simmons. Simmons has had to play quite a bit for them uh, this season and in recent seasons, uh, really 2018. He didn't play a lot. He didn't play in 2019, but he's played a lot of football for them. And so um, I think they're fine there with Shell. He's on the reserve COVID list. The, the last we heard from Carroll on that was that it was because of a close contact situation. So I, I don't know the entirety of the rules there, but I would think that as long as he did not test positive, and Carroll said on Friday that he had not tested positive, I would think that he would have a good chance of making it back for this game, assuming his ankle is fine. Remember, he was already a question mark for this game before going on the COVID list uh, because of his ankle. So um, I would think that he's got a, a good chance of making it back for the wild card round. As far as Adams, Carroll said that the initial word from the team's medical staff was that they expect him to be able to play against the Rams. Now, Carroll stopped well short uh, of committing to that, and it was a shoulder injury that knocked Adams out of the game midway through the fourth quarter. The injury from this game was to his left shoulder. Remember, he had already been playing through an injury to his right shoulder since week 10. So between those two injuries, he's also got a couple of broken fingers. 
That's one of their most important players is entering the playoffs banged up. Now, with Reed, Carroll did not have any sort of forecast on whether or not he'd be able to play. He said he was pretty sore coming out of the game uh, with an oblique strain. And so those two situations will obviously be uh, on everybody's mind this week as we look at those practice reports. And here come the Rams one more time. I know that uh, McVay did not commit on Sunday after his victory over the Cardinals, although I saw the highlights or the, the film, the video of, of Jared Goff throwing the ball pregame on Sunday. He looked fine to me. Hardly had a bandage on his uh, finger. I expect him to play. A lot of Seahawks fans have been walking around the last week or two saying, oh, the Rams, Goff's no good. This is the team we want to play now, changing their mind. 180 degrees. I'm I'm a kind of a be careful what you wish for type of guy. Do you th- you still think this is a very good matchup for the Seahawks or not so much? Well, I, I didn't see Goff throwing pregame. Would you say that he was spinning it? That that's like the, the new terminology. Was he spinning it? <laughs> yes, he, he was, was spinning, spinning it. it. Oh, yeah, he okay. Was spinning it. Yeah. Okay. Well, that changes my mind a little bit. You know, this we've sort of gone back and forth on this. Remember, a couple weeks ago, we said the Rams were the team that the Seahawks would want to avoid most you know assuming that it wasn't going to be the Packers or the Saints in the first round you know of of the Washington football team the Bucks uh, the Rams and the Bears that the Rams were the team that it looked like they would want to avoid the most and then after Goff got hurt and they held him to not you know three field goals and nine points in that week 16 win you thought well maybe it was you know maybe the Rams are actually the team you want to face the most I I think you know now it's somewhere in between. I, I still think that Washington would be uh, the team that you'd probably want to play the most. Maybe the, actually the Bears would. It's just hard to gauge, not knowing exactly what's going to happen with Goff. I mean, you know, McVay did sound like it was very much uh, going to be up in the air. At least he, he made it sound like it was less certain. Uh, he was less confident that Goff would be able to make it back for this game than I um, am. <laughs> yeah, then I am, or, or then then he then they sounded earlier in the week when okay. it sounded like they expected him to be back yeah. for the wild card round. Maybe that's a little bit of gamesmanship, trying to you know make sure the Seahawks at, you know are preparing for two quarterbacks as opposed to just one guy, keeping them guessing whatever it is. But we'll see. That's obviously a huge differentiator huge in that it, game yeah. when you're talking yeah. about Goff, a guy who's you know obviously he's had his struggles this season, but he's an NFL quarterback who's made Pro Bowls and is making a lot of money uh, compared to their backup, who's a, a guy that I don't think a lot of people had actually heard of until this week. Let's finish with that, making a lot of money. There we go. A couple of, guys, a couple of guys on the Seahawks made a lot of money on Sunday. One was a, an interesting goodwill gesture by the quarterback to get David Moore a catch late in the game when we all thought they were going to take a knee. And then there was Tyler Lockett's day. If only he could play every game in Phoenix <laughs> – my goodness, how many would he have? 12 catches. He caught 100 balls this year. He made a lot of money with his performance, his record-breaking Seahawks performance on Sunday. Take those two on. Yeah, so David Moore, he made $100,000 uh, with that, that catch on that little end-around pop pass. And you're seeing that game. I'm sure you were like me wondering, wait a minute, what, why aren't the Seahawks just taking a knee here? This is like an automatic take-a-knee situation with less than a minute left, and you're up by three points, whatever it was. It was second down, I think, or first down. And then it comes out with you know my colleague at ESPN Field Yates saying that uh, he needed one catch to hit an incentive. It was a hundred thousand dollars, as a matter of fact. And so uh, Russell Wilson was aware of that going into the game. He said he tried to get the ball to Moore earlier in the game, but he was covered, so they couldn't go to him. And so they decided uh, in the huddle. It sounded like 
the coaching staff was on board with this. That's the way that Wilson made it sound. But it, it, they were going to take a knee, and then they decided, they changed the play uh, just to get more of that incentive. So that made him $100,000. Tyler Lockett made $600,000 uh, with his performance on Sunday. It was He maxed out on, on $1.2 million worth of incentives for this season, which also triggered $1.2 million in a base salary escalator for next season. So of that $2.4 million in extra money, he had made 1.8 of that heading into this game on Sunday. Uh, and then with the two touchdowns and the 90 receiving yards, he made an extra $600,000. So pretty lucrative day for, for Tyler Lockett and DK. All right. and, uh, put your, put your mortgage Moore. on the line then here, Brady, as we finish. I've always asked you to do this. I'll ask you. Do you think this team's ready to make a, a serious run? Is it a is it a one and done type of thing? Is it like the last few years where they win one and lose in the second week? What's your sense? Well, I pay mortgage. I don't own a house. I own the boat that I live on, but I pay more. So apparently I'm I'm playing with house money here, which is nice for a change. Good. Yes, they, they can make a deep run in the playoffs. They have the quarterback to do it. They have the offensive firepower to do it. I think their defense has resurgent, obviously, you know, albeit against some below average or backup quarterbacks. It's just I, I, I'm just not in, I'm not anywhere near completely confident in that just because it's not hard for me, Mitch, to close my eyes and picture a game like what you saw Sunday and like what you saw in week 16 playing out the same way in the playoffs. And when that's against a better team, okay, say that their offense comes out flat again and has six points at halftime and their defense, um, you know, that same defensive effort that we've seen from the Seahawks over the last couple months, that's been good enough against some of the teams that they've played. Is that going to be good enough against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers or Drew Brees and the Saints if they have to play them in the second round, which very much could happen with the Saints uh, holding that number two seed? The way that they've played, the kind of those close games, save for the, the Jets game, which was a blowout, if their offense sputters and they're relying on their defense to keep them in games like they have been, is their defense going to be good enough to do that against elite quarterbacks and very good offenses? That's the one thing I worry about. Time will tell. Let's talk more about it on the Seahawks No Table. We'll get Joe Fan in here, and uh, we'll do it for the patrons this week as we approach the Rams game on Saturday, a Saturday game in the playoffs Rams and Seahawks for the third time around. Brady Anderson, follow him on Twitter. Also hear him on Mitch Unfiltered throughout the week. Thank you, Brady. We'll talk to you next time. All right, thanks, Mitch. Have a good one. Evergreen CEO Tyler Hay is back with us on Mitch Unfiltered. When you think of a financial advisory firm, Tyler, stocks and bonds advice and investments immediately come to everybody's mind. But Evergreen does for clients, it goes way beyond that, right? Talk to us about that. Yeah, I mean, I think when people think about wealth management or a financial advisor, they think about stocks and bonds and those types of things. But really, that's kind of in the ninth inning. You know, people have a lot of life events that lead up to the point where they have wealth that needs to be managed. So whether they're going through a divorce, whether they're selling a business, whether they're considering selling a business, whether they're inheriting money, there's a whole bunch of life events that go on prior to actually managing the money and we help people navigate those challenges far before they're actually the money's in their hands tax accounting and prep is now a layer also of evergreen golf call correct 
Correct, Mitch. On July 1st, we closed on Sterling Cooter, so we now have a tax advisory component to our firm, so clients don't have to play quarterback in between their financial advisor and their CPA and making sure all the documents go back and forth. We just handle it for them. So for Mitch Unfiltered listeners to find out more about Evergreen Golf Call, they've heard about you for years now on our on our podcast. Start with the website. Start with the newsletter. Yeah, they can go to the website and read the newsletter. That gives them a little bit of uh, insight into how we think, and then there's also a uh, a client uh, compatibility survey that, that kind of helps us identify who might be a good fit for us. Evergreen Golf Call and Tyler Hay and the whole crew with offices along the West Coast. It's terrific to have them be a partner of Mitch Unfiltered. More than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. We are going to take Oklahoma in their matchup in the Cotton Bowl against Florida. Quick to the line, second and goal. Rattler pulls it, spins his way in. Spencer Rattler. 19 and a half. I'm going to have Alabama as the whipped cream. Look, the fake, and he takes it in himself for the Notre Dame touchdown. I am leaning Buckeye. Four-man rush, Fields has time, launches downfield, it's Olave, he's got a touchdown, Ohio State! The cherry on top, I'm going to go with Texas over Colorado. Ellinger surveying, wanted the screen, he's got Robinson. Bijan Robinson, touchdown! Okay, he told us that Texas would blow out Colorado, 55-23. He told us that Oklahoma would take care of Florida. Why do I sound like Howard Cosell? 55-20. to 20. He told us Ohio State plus the points against Clemson. Buckeyes win straight up. If it weren't for a backdoor cover, Rick Neuheisel, by <laughs> Notre Dame, aided by a 15-yard penalty on Nick Saban himself, we are looking at the best-tasting dessert in recent memory. So disappointed in Coach Saban. What a terrible, <laughs> terrible mistake. <laughs> oh, what a week for you, huh? Yeah. You know, I, I saw a lot of that coming, but I didn't see the blowout that we got from Ohio State over Clemson. That one, I got to tell you, I did not see coming. I saw Ohio State uh, putting a great foot forward and making that game really close, if not winning it close. I did not see him taking care of uh, Clemson in the fashion in which they did. Because Justin Fields just got so hot or Clemson did something that they wish they didn't defensively? How do you how do you explain what you saw in that semifinal? Well, there's a couple of theories out there. Number one, that Clemson, especially in their offensive line, isn't that good this year and weren't exposed because they were only in the ACC. Mm-hmm. The ACC went 0-6 in the postseason. Seeds 2-3, and 2-4 and four in the final four, but, but really did not have great football in the league. That's one theory. A second theory is that for many, many years now, Clemson has been very good at stealing signals. Oh. And there is a rumor out there amongst the coaching circles that Jeff Halfley, the new head coach at Boston College, now in the ACC, realized what was going on at Clemson with stealing signs and uh, alerted the Buckeyes that they better do some changing. 
of these signs. And that's why you saw James Skalski, the middle linebacker for Clemson, looking very, very uh, discombobulated much of that first half. Pick your theory. Okay, I want to One of two has to be true. Well, I want to talk about both of them. I'll make a quick mention on theory number one. If theory number one is correct, what does that say for the doormats of the ACC like the Harvard of Central New York? That's the first (laughs) thing I'd like to say about number But number two is much more fascinating, and it will be for our listeners as well. Talk to me about that. We hear about that in baseball all the time. From time to time, we hear about it in football. Is that fair game? If you could, what, when you say they're stealing signs, are we talking about these big cards that go from the sideline to the quarterback? We used to just send the plays in with a with a substitute. Talk to me about that tact. Difficult to, I mean, listen. The old days of sending receivers to shuttle with one another were to keep the opponent from stealing signs. So there was no sign. There was just a new player in the game, and he was given the play to the quarterback. But because so much of the offense now is run at the line of scrimmage, you have to have all these different ways to show signs. My son, Jerry Neuheisel, is at UCLA. He used to be with Noel Mazzoni, who's the offensive coordinator at Arizona. So if the Arizona offensive coordinator, Noel Mazzoni, who when Jerry and he were together at Texas A&M is using the same sign that he used to use at Texas A&M to go inside zone on a fourth and one. And Jerry Neuheisel at UCLA sees it and can tell, hey, it's inside zone and get the uh, appropriate defensive call to kind of combat that. And they stop it. You don't have to feel like you're cheating. You did, he told you what they were doing. I mean, that was on them. But what happens is you get some schools that are filming these these signals. Uh, like the Astros were doing. Like the Astros. Right. And when you film them, now you have a chance to go back and you, you can actually have somebody in the same way they do analytics, sit there and break it down like they do in wartime code breaking, right? And and if if that, in fact, was going on and it got alerted to the Buckeyes, you know, no one's going to admit to this. But uh, if it if it ended up causing some discombobulation because it was clear whether it was too much inventory for Brent Venables as the defense coordinator at Clemson or they thought they were getting something and they didn't get it in terms of formations and so forth, then there's no question that that could be a theory as to how that happened. So where in your estimation as a former coach does this cross the line? Is it the filming of it? Were the you filming say, of it. Okay, yeah. as soon as as soon as they if they were ever found guilty of filming it, they would get reprimanded by some authority figure. But if they're not filming it, it's okay to steal signs visually. Is that what it you're saying? It actually happened at Arizona State. Todd Graham, the head coach at Arizona State, was caught doing this, and it was his son that ended up paying the penalty. Okay. Because his son was the one who was doing all the filming. Okay. So uh, I'm not sure that. It was exactly because he was the filmer, but I know that uh, there was some issues with uh, the Arizona State. There's got to be somebody listening to this podcast right now, Rick, saying, well, why don't they just do what the NFL do- does and and radio it into the helmet of the quarterback? Why? I think I that's mean, it's coming. It's 2021. Why are, we, why are we even talking about something like this? We're talking about it because uh, the cost factor. Not everybody's created equal, and it's you know most of these rules go in as Division One rules, right, which encompasses a lot of schools but eventually we're going to get that that radio transmitter and and that will this will go away so clemson 
gets caught and Ohio State wins. And, and by the way, talking about all this, I feel a little bit weird because we haven't really thrown any bouquet, any bouquets Ohio State's way and Justin Fields' way. I mean, I haven't seen that type of performance in a big game in a long time. That was a, that was a, a maestro performance, wasn't it, by Fields? Without question. And, and Mitch, I will dare say that for Justin Fields, I cannot remember a guy's stock plummeting in the way that it did after his Northwestern performance in the Big Ten championship game, and then reversing course hmm. and summiting in the way that it did. I mean, he not only took a shot right to the ribs from Skalski, which cost Skalski uh, the rest of the game as for a targeting call because he used the crown of his helmet. He not only took that shot and then came back one play later to throw a touchdown pass on a dart into the uh, corner of the end zone to Chris Olave. He then came back knowing it was going to hurt every time he threw and threw a 63 yard pass in the air and a 54 yard pass in the air on stride for touchdowns for the Buckeyes, six touchdowns in all 385 yards. He was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Go back to the targeting call because it was much discussed in social media. I know you're not a big social media guy. No, uh, not big. <laughs> probably probably because you just can't figure it out, like me. To be absolutely fair, that's, that's, that's a big portion of the reason, yes. Uh, it was hotly debated, that, that targeting call on both sides. I had a little bit of a different reaction. Just I saw the play, and it scares me. I, I it see scares a, me every I, time. I, I, see, I see a defensive person's head do what that head did, and I just I worry that we're going to be taking that kid off in a stretcher. Having been there and seen that firsthand, Mitch, I can tell you that's the reason for the targeting call. Now, in this particular instance, it did not look like he was hitting the defenseless player, which is why there was a lot of issue and in, in, you know debate over the validity of the call. This is, to me, the more dangerous of the, the target targeting calls. This is hitting using the crown of your head, the crown of your helmet, to deliver the blow. And that's exactly what James did. James Skowski, the linebacker, who a year ago in the same venue was uh, kicked out of the uh, LSU National Championship game for the same thing. He's dropping his hat. You can see as he left, you know, he's got that big collar around the back so that his head doesn't whiplash, mm -hmm. but he's using his head as a weapon and it's eventually going to cost him. It was exactly what happened to poor Curtis Williams back against Stanford, against uh, the, the Stanford running back. So the right call was made. The yeah, right call 100%, was made. 100%. And that's to protect James Skalski. Where does Dabo go from here? Does, do, do, we make, do we make too much of the whole ranking of Ohio State number 11 and it came back to haunt him and he motivated him. I quite, I mean, I don't know why Ohio state needs that as motivation. They're in the national semifinal for goodness sakes. Where does he go from here? I think Dabo and, and let, let, you know, listen, let's give him all the credit in the world for the program that he's built, the success that he's enjoyed. This is six playoff appearances in seven years. Only twice has he lost in the first round. Uh, the other four times he's been to the championship game in which two of them, he won. So let's be easy on Dabo. But I think Dabo, if he's really being honest with himself, will say, I'm going to do less talking going forward. I don't need to talk as much. I don't need to have an opinion on everything. I can just kind of move along about my business. I think the team and Dabo got a little arrogant. Mm -hmm. 
and they got it put in their face mm -hmm. in this particular contest. I mean, it was always about, you know, how good we are and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. I think it's more about, they got to get hungry again. And that's hard to say for to a team that's been as successful as they are. But I just think one man's opinion, he doesn't need to say as much. He can just go about being one of the great coaches with one of the great programs and see if they can't get uh, ready for another run. It was interesting to me, Mitch, you know, he first said when he was defending his number 11 uh, position with Ohio state, he first said that you had to play 10 games or you weren't in the deal. Well, then he changed that to nine when he realized that Trevor Lawrence had only played nine and he was saying <laughs> Trevor Lawrence should be the Heisman trophy winner. He, he literally changed it. And to me, that's where you're going. Stop talking so much, man. Uh, Just relax. Oh, gosh. We're, we're centering our conversation. By the way, this is Rick Neuheisel presented by Taco Time and Taco Time Northwest app. Don't forget to download the Taco Time Northwest app and order ahead. I'll be going on Tuesday, obviously, for my buy one, get one free on the Alex Collins touchdown for the Seahawks on Sunday. We're, we're centering our conversation on Clemson, Ohio State, because that's the more interesting of the two games. Anything from Alabama, Notre Dame that you want to note for us? I think uh, Devontae Smith's going to be the Heisman Trophy winner. Okay. I think he's sensational, and uh, everything he does kind of resonates that way, which will be the reason he'll he'll hoist the uh, uh, the trophy virtually. Uh, I think that Alabama is going to probably win the national championship because I worry about Ohio State secondary, but I think I would bet the over even though it's going to be somewhere in the 76, 77 range, uh -huh. because I think both teams are going to score. I think Alabama will score over 50, and I think uh, wow. uh, Ohio State will score Boy. over 40. You're not I even, would you, not be you, surprised you, to see Ohio State win the game with geez, the way they can run the You're ball. not even waiting a week to give us the dessert, for goodness sakes. I'm just telling you, that's <laughs> what I think. I know, you know, probably for podcast number 192, whichever <laughs> one we're on, We'll, we, you like a little bit more of a tease, right? Uh, a, a, a prelude to, oh, to that God. stuff. But at day's end, I think it's going to be a brilliant offensive game, and I can't wait to see what the defenses have in store for one another because there is a lot to corral on both offensive sides of the ball. Well, you're 9-4 and four in your last 13 picks. You're red hot. You're, I mean, your, your desserts have been delicious. We almost had the dessert <laughs> of all desserts if it weren't for a Nick Saban 15-yard penalty. So we, I guess you might as well just lay it on us. You're, you're, you're saying it's going to go over 74, 75. You think, you think Alabama's going to score Buckeyes. 50? Yeah. I would take the Buckeyes. With the points? And, and, and get the points. Really? So I'm getting eight. Oh, no. And I, and I would also take the over. Yeah, but over when you go over, if you're telling me we're going to be in the 80s, then eight points is... It's not that many. I mean, eight points is a lot in a 24-17 game. But in a 56, to, uh, you, you sure you want to go Ohio State plus the – I kind of like Alabama minus the points, no? I'm telling you, okay. I'm taking the Buckeyes. All right. The Buckeyes did this against Clemson. This is These are the numbers you need to remember. Okay. I know we rave about the quarterback and such, and he deserved the, the accolades. But Ohio State ran for 255 yards. Trey Sermon had 190 plus. If you put Trey Sermon's first half against Clemson, where he was 121, and his second half against Northwestern, who's a formidable run defense, you you come to 392. Wow. Three, maybe 394. One of the two. 393. I think 392. Wow. 
392, Mitch, Jeez. in two halves of football. That is a offensive line that is now that's they're playing Alabama, which will be different. But that running game now creates a complete offense, an interior linebacker that can get having to hit the gaps hard to make sure that they're in there to pull and have tight ends, which we saw score three of the touchdowns in the first half of the Buckeyes catching balls over the top of their heads. This is a very different kind of okay. offense than Alabama is going to have seen. I like Ohio state. I wouldn't even be surprised at all if they win the game. Really? But I think that I, oh. I will not be surprised at all. I think they're going to be very, very close to the action. And I think it's going to take an unbelievable effort by Alabama, who I also think will be up to the task given this offense and given Steve Sarkeesian wanting to go out in, in the right way. Now that he's got the Texas job. Uh, I just, I just think we're going to be in for a showcase, you know, 54, 49 type of game. Wow, and I'm not telling good. you who's going to win it. Wow, yeah. That's, that's, that's maybe a legendary college football game that we remember for the rest of our lives. The, the funny thing is you predict the games and I play the game of predicting the predictions. So <laughs> I've been thinking all day, what is New Heisel going to do? And I predicted that you were going to say over and Alabama. So I'm half right. I'm, I'm a bit surprised that you give Ohio State as much chance to win the game as you do. So. The way Trey Sermon is running the football right now is going to cause Nick Saban and Pete Golding such consternation and it's also going to take out maybe a couple of the most talented guys on their team in uh, Malachi Moore and Brian Branch uh, the nickel players nickel and dime players because they're not going to be in there nearly as much given the way Sermon has dominated the game so I think you're going to see more of the okay. linebacker uh, portion there with their base personnel and in that base personnel that they're a little bit vulnerable especially in the middle field of the sec of the secondary so i i just think those tight ends can have some big days they do lots of crossing olavi olavi for ohio state might not be quite the equivalent of Devonte smith but he's close and you've got garrett wilson you've got that williams kid i'm just telling you they are complete and they have a quarterback run threat to add to that running deal which is not the case with mac jones for alabama Let's graduate to something that you just mentioned because I think it's very interesting to the college football world and particularly the people here in Seattle who are close to the University of Washington program. I'll call it the completion of the Sark career reclamation. It's now, I think you can put a bow on it after the problems that he had starting here at the University of Washington and then well chronicled at USC and him having to look himself in the mirror and, and, and do some soul searching, coming back to the Atlanta Falcons and then as Nick Saban's offensive coordinator at Alabama, all the success. And now he's the head coach of the, of the renowned Texas Longhorns. A, did you see the, the Herman change coming? And B, what do you think of Sark getting the opportunity? Well, I'm certainly happy for Steve to get the opportunity. Uh, I think he as you said, went through that painful process of looking at oneself in the mirror and realizing change had to be made and change was made. And, and he's uh, obviously done a remarkable job in the role that he's currently in as the offensive coordinator for Alabama. People will say, hey, he had every tool known to man given the, the personnel, but it's still, 
you can have all the great musicians, but the, the orchestra's leader has to make sure that he's uh, hitting the notes at the right time. Right. And he's done so brilliantly. So congratulations to him and his next opportunity. I did see this coming at, at Texas just because Texas to me is a lot in, at least in their fan base is a lot like USC. They expect to be considered amongst the elite. And when they're not, they get very impatient very quickly. And if they don't like you and I, I, you know, sit next to a Texas Longhorn alum on the desk there at CBS and Brian Jones, and he's always telling me what the alums are saying that there was some uh, concern about, you know, Tom Herman and, and his future there. It was about Urban Meyer. Urban said, no, there was some dalliance with Brian Kelly. I was told he said, no. And then Steve Sarkeesian became the hot ticket. And I think they will wait and see, but I'm hearing Will Muschamp's name possibly as a go along with, as a defensive coordinator. So we'll see what, what transpires, but uh, there's no shortage of resources there in Austin, Texas, and they'll put together exactly what they think will be perfect. But it is a uh, lap around the park for uh, Steve Sarkeesian and, and the reclamation is complete. And we'll wait and see how we, how he does in burn orange. How will he do in burn orange? I expect, well, I expect, well, it'll, a lot will be dependent on uh, what kind of lessons he learned from Nick Saban and what kind of defensive coordinator he gets. Don Brown's out there. The guy just got let go by Michigan. He was fantastic for years. Uh, Will Muschamp, the head coach at South Carolina, who you know once was the defensive coordinator at, at uh, Texas for Mac Brown, was the head coach in waiting before he became the head coach at Florida. So there's some guys to be uh, looking through and, and choosing from, and uh, there'll be no shortage in terms of the resources he can provide whoever will take the job. He's losing his quarterback, or he's losing the quarterback yeah. that had a chance. To Sam Ellinger has yeah. decided to, to move on, and that's not a bad thing. I, you know, Sark, I wouldn't be surprised. And this is, you know, when Kirby Smart left Alabama, there was some, there was some pressure points between he and Nick Saban. Because what Kirby did is he went in and looked at the recruiting board before he left, took a picture of it, I'm told, and then and then spread it out there to the recruits as to where Alabama had him, where he thought they really were, right? <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see what Sark does in terms of Bryce Young. You know, Bryce Young came to Alabama partially because the Crimson Tide are, you know, year in, year out uh, candidates to win the national championship. But he also came for Steve Sarkeesian, the, the quarterback from modern day. And now with a transfer rule that likely will go in effect before we kick it off next year, and he can go anywhere he wants without having to get a release, does he go with Sark to uh, Austin, wow. Texas? Wow. That'll be interesting. Will Sark beat out USC and UCLA for the, the top-notch California talent and bring them to Texas? He'll be in there punching. There's no question. He'll be in there punching. USC just recently got a commitment from the top defensive lineman in the country, a That's kid right. by the name of Corey Foreman. Yeah. But uh, there's no question that uh, Sark will be in there and, and making some hay. Harbaugh extended in Ann Arbor. Don't tell me you saw that coming. You know, I did see it coming. Oh. I didn't. I did not see it coming with the fanfare is like, we've got our guy. <laughs> I would have thought it would have been a very quiet deal. Uh, my, my instincts tell me that there's a much lesser buyout going forward, that he might get a little reduction. 
but still with the same promise that the resources will be available if he sees uh, improvements be made within his staff. He already let go of his defensive coordinator. Uh, I'm waiting to see what, what happens with uh, Josh Gaddis, his offensive coordinator. My guess is that uh, that'll be a very careful analysis and evaluation before he gives him the, the pat of approval. But there's no one else for Michigan to go get, maybe short of Matt Campbell from Iowa State, uh, that was going to move the needle more than Harbaugh uh, in recruits' minds. So, and, and Ward Manuel, the athletic director there, is a you know maize and blue maize and blue guy himself. So I, that did not shock me that Jim Harbaugh would stay on there. The voice of CBS college football analyst and our pal Rick Neuheisel, brought to you by Taco Time. And the Taco Time Northwest app order ahead this Tuesday when you get a buy one, get one free at Taco Time for talk. Hey, listen, I'm reserving the right to have you on one more time if we have a great net. If we have the national championship game that you just projected, 54-48, if we have a game like that, I got to be able to reserve the right to call upon Rick Neuheisel one Last time. The right is always yours, Mitch. <laughs> I'm that ageless reliever out there in the bullpen. Ah, no. Just sitting there waiting for the call. I'm ready, Skip. Uh, put me in. Put me in, uh, as the great John Fogarty once said. Great job with all your work on, uh, on CBS this year. We'll watch the national championship and keep your words in the back of our mind. And thank you so much for all that you do for me and the podcast, Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you, Rick. It's my pleasure, my friend. Happy New Year. My buddy, dapper Dan Black, president of Zeke's Pizza, is back on, of course, the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Happy New Year, Dan. Hey, thanks, Mitch. Happy New Year to you. I like the new nickname. <laughs> I got to tell you that the family went to the Woodland Park Zoo the other night to see the Wild Lanterns exhibit, and we stopped at the Finney location, ordered some chopped salads, brought it with us, some Zeke's Pizza. Fantastic. Fantastic spot. Yeah, Finney's busy right now because of the, all the action at the zoo. You're doing what a lot of families are doing right now, and I love the chopped salad too, and I like the Finney location too because it's we're mainly doing takeout and delivery. Finney is one of the locations that has outdoor seating on the deck with heaters and tents and stuff, so it's a good location right now. What's the good news? I hear there's some exciting news this first week of January for Zeke's Pizza. Yeah, we've got a restaurant opening in Kenmore this week on Thursday, and so we're excited about that. We've been talking about all the franchises that we have being built, and Kenmore is the first one out of the gate here. And so, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to uh, serving some pizza and beer up there this week. Where is it exactly, Dan? It is right across from City Hall, right in the center of Kenmore. And uh, it's going to be a full-on pizza pub focused on takeout and delivery to start. But once COVID's over, there's, there'll be a nice craft beer bar in there and spirits and, and all that stuff. Are you starting the year strong? How is takeout and delivery? It is strong. A little bit of dining room business, like I say, places where we have outdoor seating. But it's it's about takeout, delivery, and beer delivery right now. And that's it's strong like it has been during COVID. And we're going to keep going with it. Use the Zeke's Pizza app like the Levy family does. You can also find them at Zeke'sPizza.com. Homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. All right, other stuff segment, episode 124, your first Hotshot Scott, other stuff segment of 2021. And my hope, you know, I have resolutions. Yeah. My first resolution is no podcast goes longer than nine minutes. Okay. I think we broke that one. Yes. Um, and my other resolution is... 
No more taking shots at Florida men in the other stuff segment. Okay, so only Can Florida you, women. No Florida women, <laughs> no Florida men. Florida kids. Georgia. I want you to change uh, every Florida story to Georgia. All right, I'll work on that. Actually, th- today I don't I don't have well, I may actually. <laughs> I forgot now. All right, Derrick Henry getting 2000 yards. We sort of Was that would that have been a bigger deal 10 15 years ago? I feel like I didn't hear anything about it until it happened. Yeah. Wouldn't that have been a huge deal or, yeah. or is it just me? Yeah. I think I don't know if it was when they went to 16 games or why, but I guess a couple of guys have done it. Has he done it before? Is this his second time doing it? Did he do it last year or did he not do it last year? I don't think year? he did it last year. Yeah. But I never the, thought he was going to be this good. I never Alabama? thought he was going to be this good. Yeah. No, I thought he was going to be good. Never thought he was going to be this good. Yeah. Weird that Tennessee has two players to rush for 2,000 yards. They're the only franchise to have that. Chris Johnson, the right. other. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. Fast guy, Chris Johnson. And he's one of three Heisman winners to rush for 2,000. OJ's one of them. And I, I don't know who the other one is. I didn't look it up. The other. There's only been three Heisman winners to rush for 2,000. Did Adrian Peterson win the Heisman? No. Okay. I don't yeah. think Adrian Peterson ever won the Heisman. I don't know who the third. Yeah. Anyway, I thought yeah. that was really cool that he rushed for two. I didn't hear about it until halfway through the Seahawks game. I'm like, oh, wow. Amazing. And anyway. Tennessee won the division, and Indianapolis settles for a uh, a wild card spot. And the greatest, I told you on whatever episode it was, 123P for the patrons, the greatest game of musical chairs ever in AFC playoff history, which team was standing <sighs> without the chair? I know. You race towards it with your butt out, and you just hit the you hit the deck. My team was left standing. <laughs> of course, right? And they were the best in best the best position a week ago, and now they're out. I picked them and beat the boys, and so I I'm, didn't. I'm feeling. I, I, I picked the Bills. <laughs> I'm feeling your pain too. I picked the Bills. Your buddy Sarkeesian. Can you believe that? How about that, Sarkeesian? I don't know much about like his ability. Obviously, he's a good coach, but yeah. Does he just keep? How does he just keep getting these amazing gigs? His best season ever is nine and four as a head coach. Like, all right. I guess we'll see at Texas. Maybe he'll well, come. Maybe okay. He'll, I don't know. Well, let's talk about this for a second because I think in, in, in New Heisel and I spoke about it in the in the previous oh, okay. segment. But number one is I think the first head coaching job was here at Washington after he had done a great job with guys like Carson Palmer and Matt Leinart as the quarterbacks coach at USC. Yeah, he had developed those guys. So he got the UW job because he was an up-and-coming coordinator and a great worker with quarterbacks. He came here. He took over a program that Tyrone Willingham. Do you remember your buddy Tyrone Willingham? Sort of, yeah. I think they were 0-10, 0-11, 0-12. 0-12, yeah. 0-12. Okay. And in two or three years, they were winning six, seven games. Yep. Right? Got the Jermaine Curses of the okay. world. Did he yeah. get them to the national championship? No. Did he get them to a major bowl game? No. But did he get them – did he pull them out of the shithole? Totally. Yes. He totally did. Okay. Yeah, he turned the program around. Okay. It, it, I don't want to harp on this too much, but it's part of the story. He had personal problems here in, in Seattle. Okay. He, I, I think it was the start of his personal problems. He had problems with sobriety. He had personal issues. It got in the way. He then took the USC job after telling a certain morning show host on the day that he took it <laughs> that he wasn't interested and wasn't offered the USC job, That's right. which is fine. Yeah. I like joking about it. He went down to USC to be the head coach there. He did okay, but he had... He had to get his life straight. Okay. Okay. He had, he struggled. He, he really did struggle with other stuff. Okay. All right. Got himself together after losing that job because of that. He lost his job, not because he was losing. Pat Hayden, the USC athletic director fired him because he showed up at, at a, at an, a couple of events in not good shape. I remember that. He yeah. embarrassed the university That's right. and they had no other choice. So the guy left and he went, he went and, and got himself some help. 
He looked himself in the mirror and got himself some help. And from all accounts, I don't know him. I don't know him anymore. But from all I hear is that he's cleaned himself up and he's, you know, you don't want to use the word conquered with that disease because you never quite conquer that disease. Right. But he's got it under control. And then he went for the Falcons and he worked with Matt Ryan. And then Nick Saban gave, Nick Saban gave him a job. And look what he's done with the Alabama oh. offense and the quarterbacks there, Tua. Yeah. First, and now this guy who could who could win the Heisman probably won't. That's there now. He's worked himself into a, a, a and now he's going to go take the Texas job. I mean, my question to you is, where has he sucked? You ask, why is he getting these big jobs? Yeah. Where has his coaching not shaped up? Where? Yeah, when you throw in the personal stuff, I guess that's... It's really, yeah. that's what derailed him. Yeah, okay, fair enough. That derailed him. I just you know, he had demons like the rest of us. I just want to be Tom Herman. Twenty uh, something million woo. to go away, or is it fifteen? Twenty one, uh, fifteen, fifteen million to go away. Uh, yeah, to buy out the final three years. How do how does one get that gig? <laughs> I mean, my agent never got me that. Where you're going to sit on your ass for fifteen million for three years? Wow. Auburn called Steve Sarkeesian. He wouldn't take the call. Yeah. Auburn called. He's the offensive coordinator for Alabama. No, thank you. I'm not even. I'm not even interested in talking to you guys. Is that a rivalry thing? Colorado I mean, offered him a job a couple of years ago. Turned it down. And yet he gets Texas. Yeah. I mean, there aren't there aren't three jobs better than the Texas job. That's right. Go go look at the endowment for that university. Crazy. It's unreal. Yeah. Well, good for him. I guess. I mean, I'm happy he got his life together. So there you go. All right. One quick one. Becky Hammond. You see this story? Yeah. Became the first woman to serve as an NBA head coach when Popovich got ejected from a game. That's pretty awesome. Did he get himself ejected the same way the guy from Hoosiers, Gene Hackman's character in Hoosiers, got himself ejected? Remember? Kind of. Throw me out. I want you to throw me out. You no good. Throw me out. Throw me out because he wanted the other guy to coach. Did he do that? Did he pull a Hoosiers? I don't remember the name The name of the, the guy in Hoosiers, the coach. The Gene Hackman character? Yeah, Gene yeah Hackman. I can't remember either. He got himself thrown out so that uh, the Dennis Hopper's character could coach the game. Throw me out. He was whispering to the ref, throw me out. I want you to throw me out. But why wouldn't he do it earlier? Why would he wait till now if he's trying to do it on purpose? Well, maybe it would have been too obvious earlier. Yeah. It's only a couple games into the season. I think it's cool. She's one of six women who hold an assistant coaching role in the NBA. So hopefully one of them will be a head coach one day. Yeah. Popovich has come out and said she could. She clearly needs to be a head coach somewhere. I've got one. Did you see the Armed Forces Bowl? I did not. Okay. Do you know who played in the Armed Forces Bowl? I do not. Tulsa against Mississippi State. And you asked why I didn't watch it? Do you know who the coach of Mississippi State is? Oh, I do. Yes. Yeah, Are you sure you don't know anything about the Armed Forces Bowl? What happened after the game? I remember seeing that Mike Leach was in the middle of something else again. And okay. I didn't dig in. There was a brawl hotshot between the players oh, okay. after the game. Okay. I think I did see that. Yeah. And it just, they couldn't. They Out couldn't of control. Yeah. People throwing haymakers, kicking, guys getting taken off, Ugh. guys getting... And, and through it all, Mike Leach is taking selfies across the field in the stands with, 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 with alum. That sounds about right. I Wanted swear no to part you. of it, just boys will be boys, and I'm going to turn my back. Honest to God, it was like a bar street, a, a bar room brawl on the opposite sideline, and he is taking selfie after – it was just classic Mike Leach. Awesome. Like he didn't have a care in the world what was going on over there. Yeah. Has he come out and said that he, he knew what was going on and wanted no part of it? Or he, oh, he, he saw did, it. He couldn't, he couldn't miss it. There's <laughs> 75 guys throwing haymakers at each other. Oh. His guys. Right. He's taking selfies. I'm too old for that crap. Yeah. Who needs yeah. it? And then the other one that I want to raise, my favorite part of semifinal weekend of college football 
is I'm watching the first game between, I think it's between Alabama, I think the first game was Alabama and Notre Dame. It was. And they invite the captains out to the field. I got a kick out of this. They invite the captains out to the field for the coin toss. Okay. And they announce, the announcer announces, I think it was Sean McDonough announces, that three of the four captains for each team had to stop. We're not allowed to go all the way to the middle of the field. Only one captain of each team could go all the way to the middle of the field for the coin toss the other three captains kind of went out 15 feet or 20 feet from the sidelines and stopped okay and these were because this is because of covid concerns right they didn't want the captains all in the middle of the field fine and then for the next three hours <laughs> they 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 breathed all over each That's other true. they viciously <laughs> attacked one another they tackled each other they blocked each oh. other but they couldn't go out for the coin toss <laughs> right I they could stand that. a few feet away from the coin toss oh. at the beginning of the game. The whole thing, I know. I feel there's that something, I and I don't mean to laugh about COVID, no, but there's some, something weird about that. Silly and arbitrary, and it just feels like like my daughter, you, she gets her temperature on her forehead taken. It, that doesn't mean she doesn't have it. Like, I know. We're in this weird you're place. You're too close to the other team oh, for the fuck. coin toss. Now go out there and beat the shit out of each That's other. That's right. <laughs> Huffing and puffing and spit all over oh, each yeah. other. That's right. Breathe all over each other. Uh, knocking but, the snot but, out of but people. Please don't get too close for the coin toss. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> hey, those refs are kind of old sometimes. You know, maybe you have to take them into I consideration. That. I love that. Eighty-four-year-old Lou Gossett Jr. You remember Lou Gossett Jr.? Of course, an officer and a gentleman. Oh yeah, he was don't a tell badass. me. Don't tell me. Well, he tested positive. Oh, I thought you were going to say rest in peace. And he was so sick, he couldn't even stand. So he was taken to a Georgia area hospital. Here, here's my Georgia story. Where he stayed for just a couple days before he bolted from the hospital. Yes. He, he was put in this COVID patient area. And, and he said that the wave of deaths freaked him out. He just took off. And hospital, yeah, he just left. He's like, I, it freaked him out. Yeah. Because of just, it was just, it was bedlam in there. He said, his quote was, it was a shit show and I had to go. <laughs> So, but he's saying the guys. This is he was like, always a tough guy. That, that's why it's fight. He bolted. He, he, he was a tough guy in all these movies. Was he? Who was more scary in a movie than him? An officer in a job. He was as bad as they no. come, wasn't he? Yeah, he had a mean look to him. Too. I know. I know. Mean, mean guy. Yeah. So he checked out Tuesday, yeah, and the, you didn't want to fool with Louis Gossett Jr. Lou Gossett Jr. No, he no. was. I'm no. glad he's. I didn't. I honestly didn't know yeah. he was still alive at 84. So I think it's. it's I'm glad he's Deborah Winger. Yeah, and Richard Gere. Officer and a gentleman filmed in the, uh, the state of Washington. If I'm I don't not mistaken. know. I, was long, I wasn't around. I, I didn't know where Washington was in those days. Yeah, I know. Then yeah. you had to move here and butt in for some reason from Miami. <laughs> not Miami, but okay. <laughs> well, you know, whatever. You can go, you can go with that. Did Washington, we'll, whatever. We'll go with it. I was a Florida man. All right, quick, a quick PSA. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. A p- quick PSA for kids, and I don't know if it affects people around this area because it doesn't no. really freeze. But people have been—they love to eat icicles. You seen this? You know, an icicle on the side of your house. You break it off and you eat it. You know, yeah, I've been, people have been doing that for a hundred years. There right? you go, kids. Well, an Iowa meteorologist named Katie Nicolau, she, she's seen enough. She had to speak up after seeing people chomping on them all over social media. Because they're dirty. Well, she works at KMEG in Sioux City, Iowa, and she's telling people, that water runs off your house and off to the side. Birds crap on houses all the time. So unless you want to eat bird poop, stop eating freaking <laughs> icicles, would you please? And I never once thought about that because I've, I've broken, you know, who hasn't, I guess, you know. But Well, why not? I don't know that I've ever broken one off the house. Why not break one off of a tree or a... That's probably better. Yeah. I mean, unless you like squirrel poop, you know, whatever. I mean, there's things in trees too. But the fact that you, I never thought that the water is running down your house where birds yeah. are pooping all day and moss and... Yeah, sure. And then forming. Oh, Delicious. Good snack. A delicacy. <laughs> I guess, yeah. We'll see. All right, Paul Westfall, we talked about before the show a little bit. Rest in peace to him. He was Floyd Little. 
And Floyd, yeah, Floyd Little, I didn't, I didn't see that both one. Both died on, I think, on Friday. One of them may have died on Friday and Saturday. Both had connections to the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. So Floyd Little, you, you asked me who Floyd Little was. You didn't know who Floyd Little the was. The name sounded familiar. So Syracuse University, the Harvard of Central New York, had a once proud college football program that featured the likes of Jim Brown, who wore number 44. Overrated, yeah. He had... Go on. Jim Brown's overrated. Uh, Ernie Davis wore the wore the number forty four. He won the Heisman Trophy. Okay. And a guy named Floyd Little wore the number forty four. They all went well. Uh, Ernie Davis died young, but Jim Brown and Floyd Little went off to Hall of Fame NFL careers. Jim Brown may still be the greatest running back of all time. Floyd Little went off to the Denver Broncos, where he saved the organization. They were thinking about moving. They were not very good in those days. Okay. He got the building built, Mile High Stadium. They called him the franchise. Oh, he was that good in the pros. Oh, he's great. Okay. He was an all-purpose kind of Gale Sayers-ish type of guy. All right. And, uh, and, and was inducted into the Football Hall of Fame. So he's a Hall of Famer, the yellow jacket, mustard jacket. Uh, and then in his post-playing years, here's something that I didn't know. When I got here, he bought a Ford dealership in Federal Way, Washington. He was the owner of a Ford dealership in Federal Way, Washington. How did he make his way up here? Do we know? Family I'm not sure exactly or? how it worked, but I came to town in 1995. This is a true story. I can't tell you when it was. It was very soon thereafter that I was out in Kirkland at the Seahawks' old headquarters in Kirkland. Oh, yeah, I remember. And I was out there at a practice or a workout or something. I couldn't have been two or three years here. And a guy comes towards me, is walking towards me, who looks kind of familiar, is wearing glasses. I had no idea that the great Floyd Little was making his home in the Northwest. Yeah. And this guy turns to me and he says, he's coming right at me and he says, are you the Mitch Levy? <laughs> and I was like, yes, I, 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 I'm Mitch Levy. I don't know right. the Mitch Levy. My fellow Orangeman, ah. Floyd freaking Little. Big deal for you. That's, that's really cool. Floyd Little. Yeah. I'm like, wait, Floyd Little. <laughs> like, he puts his hand up. Floyd Little. I said, Floyd Little. Had you would, had you recognized I, I, him if he wouldn't have said his name? Oh no, no, no. After, after yeah, all those years, that's amazing. Floyd Little. And you're like Floyd Little. And he had been listening to the show and knew that I was a, a Syracuse Orange, and he very proud member. He would actually leave Seattle after the de the dealership uh, uh, closed. He actually left and went back to Syracuse and was a member of the the organization, the athletic department. Floyd Little came up to me. That's awesome. Gone at the age of 70-something. Yeah, I don't know. I, I have it in front story. of me. And then not a few minutes later, I read about Paul Westfall. Another number 44. Both were 44s. Crazy. Paul Westfall, you might remember as a kid, was traded for Dennis Johnson. Yep. He, became, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated with a, an umbrella on. I tweeted out that picture in his, in his Sonics jersey when they, when they acquired him. And I remember what I said on Twitter was I remember when I was a kid playing basketball, I remember that he was an example that coaches used for how to move without the ball. Um, coaches were always trying to tell us, you know, you got to move without the ball to get sure. open. Paul Westfall was great without the ball. Rip Hamilton started doing that. He was the one you looked at like when I was younger. He was I, I was 80 by the time Rip <laughs> Hamilton. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, he's always saying about Rip Hamilton. Yeah. Did he move without the ball? <laughs> oh, the best. Well, Paul Westfall moved without the ball. He came here in Seattle. It didn't – I mean, he was good in Seattle. He went into the Hall of Fame just last year, 2019. Yeah. He went with Jack Sigma, and then he was diagnosed with a rare brain tumor – uh, last August, yeah. he was the coach of the Sonics. I remember when Wally Walker, my friend Wally Walker, asked me to lunch to introduce me to Paul Westfall. The three of us had lunch. Wally Walker, That's cool. Paul Westfall, and I, I think it was at the Queen City Grill. 
in downtown. And that's when we hatched the idea to do a show together. We did a show together weekly when he was the coach of the Sonics. Super nice guy. Was he? I mean, just all around nice guy. We lost him too. 70 years old. Not that old. Yeah. 70. I went back and watched that game five of the Celtics Suns. By the way, he was drafted 10th overall. That's pretty damn good. Oh, yeah. USC. Yeah, I didn't realize how good he was. Oh, yeah. He was a hell of a player. Oh, he was a hell of a player. This, this, hell of a player. I mean, I didn't know that he became the first NBA All-Star Weekend horse competition champion. Doesn't 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 surprise me. But first of all, doesn't why don't surprise me? Why don't we have that now? I would oh, totally watch of that. Of course you would. Especially with guys like Steph Curry launching. Of course from, you would. Yeah. What they should do that? It'd be so. I fun. remember. I remember. I don't remember that was even a thing. Oh yeah, they had a horse at halftime on CBS. They also had three on three contests. <laughs> oh really? With like a celebrity and oh yeah. Oh, I remember yeah. watching like the Legends games, but oh yeah, but they they weren't guys I grew up with like Iceman, Gerv. You know, I don't. I didn't really. Re- so it didn't do much for me. If you ever have ten minutes. A spare 10 minutes this week. Go back and watch Paul Westfall's induction speech in 2019 to the Hall of Fame. Okay. I think you'll really like it. I will. Really modest. Like, what am I doing here? Yeah. You know, I never viewed myself as a Hall of Fame. A very, very sweet induction speech in 2019. He played in the game, often called the greatest game ever. It was a th- triple overtime. Alvin remember? Adams. Jojo. Celtics. Jojo White. Jojo White, yeah. Sure. John Dave, Havlicek, Dave Ka- Cowens. Cowens, yeah. yeah. I didn't realize. It's so funny. He, of course. Dave Cowens was Walter really Davis. Good. Was Walter Davis on the Suns on that day? He must have been. I watched the second half. I can't remember. Tommy Heinsohn, I want to sure. say, was the coach of the oh, Celtics. Celtics, yeah. It was funny because they said, John Havlicek's getting the start. I'm like, John Havlicek's still playing even in 1979 or 78? I don't or know what year 76, that would have been. 76. Yeah, 76. Yeah. But he didn't start. Imagine John Havlicek ever had a time when he didn't start in the NBA coming up. But then they started him in game Three five. Three overtimes. Three overtimes, yeah. Yeah. Westfall had one of the greatest plays of all time. It, they're down. They're down three. His guy's bringing it up, and he did that move that's hard to do on defense where you, you reach around the guy and kind of tip it from behind. Oh, of course. It's, he did course. that move. And then he took off, and you're always open on the, on the cherry pick. He right? got it, and then he got fouled and made the free throw. So three points, just like that. I mean, the Celtics had the ball up two with hardly – I mean, anyway, it was fun watching that game. So yeah, rest in he peace. Re- the, may he rest in yeah, peace. Yeah, Paul Westfall. Yeah. Big, all right, quick story. There's, do you remember the story I told you about the Amazon delivery driver that went number two in someone's yard and got yes. in trouble? All right. Well, now there's an Amazon peer. Yeah, we the, had the Amazon pooper in yep, 2020. Yep, and now we got the Amazon peer in 2021. This is not my final story, but real quick, at oh. the, the palms of Boca Del Mar apartment complex. Okay, in can Boca you stop? You, you've already. You, this is not. A, this is not allowed in 2021. <laughs> a resident. I'm was, not listening. Okay, a resident was expecting a package, heard a loud slam from inside his apartment, which was the sound of his package hitting the ground. He then checked his surveillance camera and happened to catch the driver taking a whiz right by his front door. The video's out there. You're welcome to look it up for yourself if you'd like. My favorite part of this story is what the customer in Florida bought. He bought a trace laser typically used on pistols. (laughs) I was thinking, God, that's perfect. Of course he did. Of course a guy in Florida needs a trace laser for his pistol, right? Anyway, Amazon said we're going to take care of the customer because it damaged his thing. And, you know, it's all Amazon's taking care of it. So don't worry about it. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff Bezos. Yeah, Jeff's a nice guy. Appreciate it. All right. Finally, a nurse in Indonesia has okay, been. Okay, that's better. Yeah, yeah. See? I'm back in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A nurse in Indonesia has been suspended for removing his personal protective equipment to have relations with a COVID-19 patient in the hospital. A nurse in Indonesia. <clears throat> yep. Has been accused. Oh, he, he admits it. Admits to. Yep. Having relations with another fella who was a COVID-19, who was positive. Okay. COVID-19 patient. 
for some reason, a Twitter account uploaded a picture that showed a heap of PPE, you know, all the laying there on the floor of a room purportedly inside the hospital. And the user posted a screenshot that he claimed to have a conversation he had with the nurse. And they uh, allegedly got it off, uh, got it on in a bit of, sorry, they, I was thinking taking the clothes. They eventually got busy in a, in a Burger King bathroom right there in the hospital. Yes, they something. did. Yes. Uh, but the mo- both men face up to 10 years in prison in Indonesia. Why? I guess it's for for purposefully spreading diseases, spreading the disease, I guess. 10 years? I, uh, that's the part of the story I couldn't believe. 10 years. <clears throat> so, um yeah, so the the patient's still positive. He is actually negative somehow. I I don't know how he it was tested and he's he's negative. So anyway, they both face up to ten years in prison. And I was thinking, becoming a prisoner after a one off quickie in a bathroom, that's how some marriages start. <laughs> oh yeah, do we snip or not in two thousand twenty one? Sure. The nurse's boss was overheard yelling at the nurse. I meant in the arm, dummy. Ugh. You get that on the way home. To be fair to these guys, how I many... I don't think it takes that long. <laughs> All right. I didn't know. Yeah. To be fair to these guys, how many forms of protection can one fellow be expected to remember at a time? Prison time in Indonesia for willfully spreading your germs and diseases? The Kardashians are lucky they're American. <laughs> <laughs> they're just rich and they annoy me. I'm sure they're nice people. And finally, if I were single these days, I'd totally want to wear a mask during those intimate times and do anything to cover this whole face. <laughs> that sounds awesome to me. So there you go. Uh, Be careful if you're in Indonesia. And 2021 begins just the way 2020 law. <laughs> yes, it does. Finished. And tell Maddie to email me about the, the cockamamie Billy Crystal thing. He's no leading man. I'll stand by that. She can reach out to me. Nonsense, Maddie. How about City Slickers? Oh, I love City Slickers. Yeah. Yeah, but he's not. He's the leading man in that movie. Yeah, he's not like a heartthrob. I mean, you know, oh. he's rolling around with Jack Palance. Yeah, Palance. but do they really. Is he really ca- casted as a heartthrob in When Harry Met Sally? Do you remember When Harry Met Sally? Yeah, he's the love interest. I know he's the she love interest. She falls in love with him. Yeah, but I. I because they're longtime friends, and they have this love-hate. Do I need to explain the whole movie? Do I need to t- talk to you about the wagon wheel, the wagon wheel coffee table? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's yeah, the wagon wheel that was hideous. And someday you find yourself <laughs> screaming over a goddamn ugly wagon wheel coffee table. <laughs> right. No, Bruno, it's, Bruno Kirby's character. Oh, he's in that too? Yeah, he was He was Billy Crystal's buddy. Oh, okay. Back so in the day. City Slickers. I actually watched that on an airplane last year, City Slickers again. It's great. Hilarious. When the when the when the the grocery store clerk comes in and spills the beans, and the next they had this huge fight, and they cut to Billy just standing there with a tray in his hand, just like, just like, are we still partying or what's going on here? That made me laugh so hard. That's a great movie. I love City Slickers. All right, great, great leading man. Yeah, great leading man. Exactly. I should be cast as a leading man. I don't Crystal. understand what your problem is with Billy Crystal. I like the guy. I just I couldn't buy it. I just had trouble buying him as someone she'd be into. But Maddie tells me I'm wrong because I don't know women. That's what she said, right? She said, if you don't think that a lot of women choose humor over looks, yeah. then you don't know women. All right. Humor. I'll okay. Take, I'll take do, looks all day. Do you want to also agree or disagree with Phil and Stockton? <laughs> no, I don't want any part of Phil. He sounds nasty, and I don't want him to turn on me. All right. Episode 124, Ghost Seahawks in the books.